Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC 270 in Ganu versus Gan. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com, and with me, as always, is Keith Schillen, executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, always a pleasure to talk to you. How are you doing this evening? Uh, dude, I'm excited, man. It's always exciting when we have a, a UFC pay-per-view. Like, I don't care how, like, how grand... The card is, you know, is it the most stacked? Is it underwhelming? This and that. When you get two of the best fighters in the world in the division fighting for basically the crown of the best fighter, you know, in the world of the baddest man on the planet, that excites me. That's, that's why I watch the sport to find out who's the best dudes in the world. I completely agree. And best women in the world. But, uh, yeah, and you know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, but no, like that's that's what we're here for. You know, like you and I both like the spectacle and the, you know, the show and the drama, you know, we like it to differing extents, but ultimately the only reason any of the trash talk and any of the backstory matters is we get to find out at the end of the night who the best man or woman in the cage is. And we're working towards figuring out who the best in the world is. And you're absolutely right. We get to find that out tonight. Uh, I, remember card, when I, was a kid. I remember when I was a kid, they always say, oh, there's always someone bigger and better than you. And I'd say, well, they, that can't be true. Like, there has to be somebody. Like, it doesn't keep going. It's not infinity. There's got to be somebody in the world that's better than everybody else. And, and that's what we in, get. That's like, infinity this what, ends on Saturday. I mean, the, the man who walks out of the cage victorious in the main event, if there's no controversy, might be the toughest dude in the world, period. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and if, obviously, most UFC pay-per-views these days get two title fights, you know, that's that's the general rule. They really do try to stack these both to, you know, again, try to make them feel big and to insulate themselves against injury, COVID, whatever sure, it may absolutely. be. But the two we have atop this card, and obviously we're going to talk about those in length in an hour or two from now, but it might be the two hardest hitters in the sport pound for pound in flyweight, <laughs> former flyweight champ Davis and Figueredo and current heavyweight champ versus Ngannou. Like, yeah. you know, you, you average every man in the UFC out to, say, 200 pounds. You know, those <laughs> might be the guys packing the biggest wall up. Uh, so, so somehow you got me wanting to see Francis Ngannou fight Davis and Figueroa. I don't know how you did it, man, but you did it. <laughs> uh, and not taking away anything from any other champs or any other title fights, but there's no Valentina Shevchenko fight here. These are two fights that are close on the odds and... I don't know about for you, but for me, they were both hard to pick. Yeah, absolutely. Because both fighters in both cases have very plausible avenues to victory, things we've seen them do before. In the case of Moreno and Figueredo, things we've seen them do to each other before. Uh, and that always adds more excitement. I mean, there is a certain joy in getting to see, you know, Anderson Silva or John Jones rack up his ninth title defense. But there's also something about these are two great fighters. There's they're the best fighters in their division. There's no odd man out. Like, whoever wins these two fights, they're the best heavyweight and the best men's flyweight in the world. There's no, well, what about Gaethje over there? There's no, well, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. John Jones. <laughs> well, John Jones is sitting on his couch at home, hopefully not out getting in trouble. But well, no, he's supposed like, to be in attendance. The rumor is that he's going to be there uh, if he doesn't get arrested from now on until then. I was going to say, I mean, he was just in town to be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. <laughs> Managed to, you know, go directly to jail and not pass go. So, right. so what you're saying, and, and obviously it's going to be a while before we get to our picks, but just to kind of, without giving anything away, when you break down these fights, you talked about the two biggest hitters, 
it being Francis Ngano and Davidson Figueredo, if you are breaking down, like take we'll take the flyweight fight, and you're very confident in Brandon Moreno, like he's going to win. Well, don't watch the first fight because if you watch the first fight, that's going to change your mind. Yep. But if you're very confident in taking uh, Figueredo, well, then don't watch the second fight because that's going to change your mind. Like exactly. that's what you can't have much confidence and then go into the heavyweight. You. You could look at Surogan and go, wow, he's so skilled. And I've heard people say, you know, the most overall technically skilled fight. I mean, I know people like to exaggerate, but the most technically sound heavyweight we've seen. But all you got is he's one grazing shot from Francis Ngannou changes it. So you can't have – if you're picking against Francis Ngannou, you can't have any any uh, confidence. No. Then if you pick Francis Ngannou, you can't just watch Surogan and see what he's done in his rise – to this point and how he hasn't really it kind of has a little bit of a john jones rise where he really hasn't been tested like he's been tested as in he's getting good matchups but no one's tested him as in like he didn't have that alexander gustin moment yet so that's what i'm saying it's hard to be confident in either one of these picks no we don't know and i i don't want to start analyzing this, this fight but we don't know what it looks like when surreal gone has a hard time we have no idea how he'll react to it so yeah pl- plenty of questions i don't know what francis Ngannou is the best heavyweight in the world. I mean, I guess we're going to find out. I don't know if he's the baddest man on the planet. I know that of the 7 billion people and counting on this planet, he is the absolute least person I would want to take one clean shot from. Like, you have to stand there, no flinching, no blocking. You just have to take one clean one to the jaw from any person on the planet. Francis Ngannou was at the absolute bottom of my list. Yeah, two or three more knockouts, like the way he's doing it. And we're going to start talking to him about him. Like, when I was a kid, we talked about Mike Tyson. Like, how much money would you take for you to take one punch from Mike Tyson. Like, that's what we, you know, the, our generation is going to say, like, 10 years from now, after he's long gone retired, it'd still be, yeah, but he probably could still crack. Like, how, how much money would it take? <laughs> you know? I, I, mean, I mean, you see Mike Tyson all over the place now. He's not in shape, but I still wouldn't want to get hit by him. No, Good no. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, and you, you almost led into something I was going to, ask about it anyway because you said you know we get excited for these cards regardless of whether they're overall underwhelming or like they're stacked from top to bottom this card is not stacked from top to bottom like the, the when we talked Absolutely. about cards last year like ufc 262 ufc 268 ufc 269 all those cards are incredible at the top the one the thing that set those apart was you're like how is this fight like the second fight from the bottom you know, like just they were yeah. relevant, interesting fights all the way from top to bottom. Not a whole lot of stuff that you would expect to see like on a fight night card. And that's not really the case for this one. Like the undercard of this uh, of this event is pretty much like a fight night undercard. I mean, there's a ton yeah. of Dana White's contender series, uh, people, people making their, their debut. Debuts. Yeah, yeah there, there's a matchup between two debuting fighters, that's which right. I don't remember the last time we had something like that on a pay-per-view unless one of them had a special buzz coming in yeah yeah. um they're all still good fights you know all interesting lots of questions to ask lots of people changing in weight class without a gun to their head like Kay hansen trevin giles you know just moving in weight class just to kind of see what it's like um so there's plenty of interesting stuff going on yeah uh I just think about the third fight from the top being that, you know, we talk about how stacked this card is Cody Stamen versus said to Madoff. Usually in that spot for a UFC pay-per-view, 
you're you're usually like one fight away from a title shot or top five or something. Like that's not the case with these guys. Oh, and it's even worse than you think because they've reordered it, and now Michelle Pereira versus Andre Fialio oh, is there. You go. That's what I get for not checking. That's what I get for not checking the order. Yeah. So I mean, worse. yeah. It, now it's like a de- a debuting fighter, you know, second or third from the top on a big pay per view, and. This has to be a big pay-per-view because the other thing we're mentioning here, I kind of buried the lead, is this is also the first pay-per-view since ESPN hiked the price by another five bucks for uh, U.S. customers. So that's the second year in a row that this has gone up by five bucks. You know, beginning in 2021, it went from 69.99 or sorry, 64.99 to 69.99. It is now 74.99, and you know, Dana White came out and said, "Hey, it wasn't my choice," and he's right. You know, as soon as they got into bed with ESPN, it stopped being his choice. Uh, but it's an interesting move on on ESPN's part, considering that this is happening specifically at a time when the option to go check out a card at like Hooters or Buffalo Wild Wings or have six friends over and like split the bill that way may not be feasible. And depending on where you live and yeah. what it's like that month may not even be legal. I mean, you know, a, a lot of your bars have just like flat out been shut down. Yeah. Absolutely. It's an interesting move, but, you know, for Keith and me, it was never a choice. We were going to order this and watch it no matter what. And we're about to talk about it for, you know, 90 to 120 minutes. Got anything else before we dive into these prelims? When he gets to about 300 bucks, then that's when I'm, that's (laughs) that's it. No more. It's $300. So I'll say this just real quick. And and just because I I don't think I've said this in a really long time. I felt like I was saying it every week before, but I'll say it real quick. I would go to my grave saying this. MMA will always be a cliche sport into the leader being the UFC is on free TV, every single card away from the pay-per-view model starting at seven, eight normal times like Sunday night football does until they do that. And they make it easy for the person who doesn't watch the sport. It'll always be a cliche, small. I'm not clear what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. A niche sport. Yeah. Yeah, niche. What am I saying? Yeah, uh, oh, I, I, mean, I was gonna say, Mike. I'm cliche for saying because I've seen it so much, but <laughs> it, it's gonna be a niche sport that just guys like us are gonna watch. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, no, I I completely agree. Like, this ain't gonna get bigger than soccer, to quote, you know, the man, uh, you know, with the bald head, until it's on regular TV like soccer. Uh, you ready to hit these prelims? Yep. All right. The first prelim out of the gate at UFC 270 is a flyweight matchup between Kay Hansen and Jasmine Yasudovicius. Uh, Hansen, who has historically fought at strawweight but is moving up to flyweight for this, uh, it'll be the first time we've seen her in over a year. 22-year-old out of Southern California is 7-4 and four overall. She's 1-1 one one since joining the UFC as a former standout from Invicta Fighting Championships. She won her UFC debut, uh, knee-barring... Uh, sorry, arm barring, uh, fellow Invicta refugee Jin Yu Fry back in June of 2020, came back in November and lost a unanimous decision to Corey McKenna. That was November 2020, so a little over a year uh, since that last fight. She is back. She is up a weight class, and she is uh, facing a debuting fighter in Yasuda Vicious. The 32-year-old Canadian was uh, successful on Dana White's Contender Series last September, taking a unanimous decision over Julia Palastri. Uh, That punched her ticket to the UFC. She makes her debut here, and she is the moderate underdog, uh, plus 185, where Hanson is minus 225 uh, as the favorites. 
Uh, I'm going to turn it over to you for your pick, but just as a bit of setup for this, uh, I'm definitely interested to see Kay Hansen back. I mean, it's she has been in our minds, and we've been talking about her for so long. It really is weird to think she's still just 22 years old. Like, I remember the, the, the first I saw of her was uh, back at uh, Invicta in like late 2018. She was 19 years old at the time. Yeah. Nothing even remotely close to a finished product, but just she had just an energy and bravado and obvious athleticism that, you know, just reminded you of, you know, your, uh, well, it reminded me very much of Macy Barber at the time, but the kind yeah. of thing that, you know, Aaron Blanchfield, whom she fought way back in the day and is similarly young, had. A lot of people think she beat her. Yeah, a lot of people, people thought she beat Blanchfield. Yeah. Uh, you know, she had mixed results on her first two fights in the UFC, took a whole year off, and it's, been an interesting human story because she came in again, 18, 19 year old, clearly just looking for something to hang her identity on and came out with this kind of very brash persona, you know, very like kind of very patriotic thing. Like she would have been a great sidekick for Colby Covington, uh, <laughs> but uh, disappeared for a year was uh, very frank about having had just kind of mental health issues, having struggled with an eating disorder. She's coming back now at flyweights and uh, obviously it'll remain to be seen what we see in the cage, but outside of the cage, she seems to have matured as a person. You know, yeah. I, I'm not saying that she's changed as a person, like, but just like, she seems more relaxed and more comfortable in her own skin. And that probably will, will uh, lead to like positive results in training and positive results in the cage. I'm interested to see it. I'm also interested to uh, hear how you think this fight plays out. I like I like how you slid in there that she'd be a good sidekick for Kobe Covington and right afterwards talked about her mental health issues. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so, so Kay Hansen, I'll, I'll say this. You mentioned right away, 22 years old. That's something that you know I love. The younger they are, the more I'm, I'm going to love because the amount of improvements they make between each fight. Uh, you talked about concerns about an eating disorder, and obviously I don't know her personally like that. But if she obviously does have a union store, the best thing to do is move up away. Now, I don't know if that was necessary. And she didn't look like she was a really big uh, strawweight. So moving up to flyweight, I don't know how it's going to affect her career. But if that improves her personal life, then I'm all for it. Um, I want to say this, and I tweeted this out, and a lot of people responded on Twitter. I thought she, she I thought she got ripped off in her last fight. Like, I'm not going to throw robbery around, but – I thought she clearly beat Corey McKenna. I think she should be two and zero in the UFC. Uh, Hanson's well rounded. Like she's someone I really like. She's a good boxer. She fights. She's very high output, busy, um, moving forward. She fights behind a high guard, busy jab. She slides into the pocket where she unloads really good combos. She sits on her punches, and she's at the age where she's just starting to get, you know, her power. And it's still probably it's probably for being honest, like three or four years away to really get to the peak of her power. She's very physically strong. Again, obviously the only thing I can base this off of is her last fight down at strawweight. I can't, I don't know how strong she's going to be at flyweight, but um, she does really good at closing uh, in the closing distance and getting into like a, the clinch and landing shots in, in, in close quarters, knees up the middle. She kind of a little bit angry streak in her, which I like. Good wrestler, good takedowns, both from the clinch and entries. Good timing on her entries. 
Um, she does need to improve her top control and not chase the submission that isn't there. That actually what's got her in trouble a couple of times against Corey McKenna, where uh, she did get swept or just uh, give McKenna a chance to to get on top and reverse it. But she's a submission threat. She has four submissions win in her in her young career. Uh, but a big concern is is going back to Corey McKenna fight and why she lost is when she was put on her back. She basically the round ended with her on bottom, so that's concerning. Now move over to uh, the Canadian fighter Jasmine. And I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle with the last name Jessa Jessa Davicious, yep. so, so, so close enough. Um, 32 years old. She's big for the weight class. She's long. She's lengthy. Again, not the fighter I'd probably put Hanson in when <laughs> moving up, just because of the size difference. Uh, she does stand a little tall for my liking. A little tall woman's defense, uh, but she she's a very pressure forward. Um, you know, using her kicks to kind of close the distance. Or forcing her opponent back, long jab. She doesn't like being pressured when uh, Palastri uh, on the contender series had success. Is actually when she was backing her up, and Palastri did have some success going to the body because uh, Jasmine fights with such a high uh, boxing style guard. She's also extremely strong. Loves the plumb clinch because she uses her height where she batters the bo- the body with knees. Uh, she is a Canadian wrestling champion and. Hate that with what it's worth. Shout out to my <laughs> my second home, Canada. Guys, I'm I can make fun of Canada. I'm I'm married to a Canadian. My kids are half Canadian. Um, my wife my wife grew up in Heartland, New Brunswick, Canada, the home of the world's longest covered bridge. Look it up. It's um, anyways, clinch takedowns, heavy top pressure when she gets on top, mean ground to pound. Uh, so as far as prediction goes, I actually think this is a tough call, and it's actually one of my favorite fights right out the gate. Like I think this fight should be much higher on the card. I actually wouldn't even hate it if it opened up to pay per view. Like that's how much I like this card. Uh, there's a lot of sharp people in this industry that are taking the Canadian based on her size, her wrestling background, um, and the, the, being Hanson such a question mark. But I'm actually still taking Hanson. I think she's the better boxer. I think she hits harder. I think she's. I think actually think she might even be the better wrestler. She's a very good wrestler herself. Plus her age. One's 32. She's at the age where she's probably not going to be making much improvements. Well, the other ones are the age where she could be making huge improvements. So I'll get to go with the fighter that I think has the higher upset and give me uh, give me handsome by decision. Great. I, I love the breakdown there. And I love that you pointed out that, uh, you know, Hanson, you could certainly argue that she should have two fewer losses than she does. The McKenna and Blanchfield fights both raise her close. But the flip side is, you know, her wins over Jinyu Fry and Sharon Jacobson were both come from behind submissions. And the Jacobson one in particular was an absolute Hail Mary. Like that was like three weeks after the Blanchfield fight. Uh, I remember it well just because I did. I wrote the recap for Sherdog. So I watched it and I watched it again. But Jacobson was kind of slamming her all over the place and just with like, 10 seconds left. She threw Hanson and Hanson just held onto the armbar and snatched one of the niftiest submissions we'd see all year. But she was 10 seconds away from losing her second fight in, you know, in, in a month. Uh, just all that to say that th- there's, uh, you know, a bit of unpredictability here that makes it tough to, to call this fight. You know, uh, Jasmine Yasuda Vicious is obviously a bit of an unknown quantity because her fight with Polastri on the contender series was, it was the first glimpse we got of what she might look like against a, a roughly UFC level fighter. And then Hanson has all 
you know, these like asterisks and, and question marks around her on top of moving up to 125 pounds. And as you pointed out, I mean, she's like thickly built and muscular, but she wasn't a tall straw weight. I mean, she she was the same height as Jin Yu Fry, who should be an atom weight. Uh, so at 125, she's going to run into the kind of Jessica Andrade thing where like, yeah, you're probably strong enough to hang, but there's a point at which the height disadvantage actually does kind of uh, come into play, no matter how good you are. And Jasmine Yusudovicius would be that fighter, except that she doesn't fight especially long. For someone who is as tall and lanky as she is, a lot of her game consists of backing her opponent up and then closing the distance so that she can wrestle. Uh, I'm interested to see if she can make that wrestling game work on Hanson, who, as you pointed out, very good wrestler and, and grappler. In fact, that came along before her boxing because in like the Blanchfield and Jacobson fights, her striking was still very much a work in progress, whereas she was able to just kind of through will and athleticism, uh, she was already, you know, a very good grappler and, and, and a good wrestler. Uh, I'm with you. Like, I, I don't know how Hanson is greater than a two-to-one favorite here, just simply because there are so many unknowns about her. Like, that's saying a lot of somebody Absolutely. that we haven't seen in over a year. And if you're 22 and we haven't seen you in over a year, that is a significant part of your adulthood and your fight career that you've been completely absent. Like, who knows? Like, that's like 5% of your life. Yeah, it's like 5% of your <laughs> life. It's like, uh, like 20% of your fight career. And... While I agree with you that uh, at that age, fighters can make enormous strides between fights, there's every chance that she's gotten worse, you know, or that she she's just plateaued. I, I don't know what her training situation has been like over this time that she has admittedly struggled with things. But, you know, just playing the odds here, don't I don't mean the literal odds, but just, you know, going with the knowns and unknowns that I do have, I, I agree that Hanson has higher upside. And at the same time, is a more proven product, even with the long layoff. So I'm going to go with Hanson by decision as well. But seriously, all bets are off as soon as they get in the cage. I'm very interested to see this fight for the same reason you are, because both of these women could have quite a future in this division. Both of them could, regardless of who wins on Saturday. Next up, we have a lightweight matchup between Matt Frivola and the debuting Gennaro Valdez. Frivola, the 31-year-old New Yorker, is 8-3-1 overall. He's 2-3-1 since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he is looking to turn things around after the first back-to-back -back losses of his career, uh, those having come at the hands of Armin Sarukian, to whom he lost a unanimous decision last January at UFC 257, and Terrence McKinney, uh, who victimized him with a seven-second knockout, the fastest in UFC lightweight history, at UFC 263 back in June. Uh, he'll be welcoming to the UFC Valdez, uh, the 30-year-old uh, Mexican, uh, one of, I think, three or four fighters from uh, Brandon Moreno's gym who have kind of tagged along for the ride on this card. Uh, he is a perfect 10-0 in his career. This is, as stated, his UFC debut. Uh, he knocked out Patrick White on the Contender Series back last October, uh, early in the second round, to earn his ticket to the Octagon. Odds on this one, favor for Vola. He is minus 190, Valdez plus 160 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, does Matt Frivola uh, get it done, turn things around, and, and get back in the win column? Yeah, so this is one of the, you know, fights where you get another newcomer, one that, you know, coming off the contender series. and So Frivola, 
it's funny because I wasn't that high on Favola coming into the UFC, but he's turned into a pretty good fighter. Um, he'll never be a guy that's in the rankings, but he's always going to be a guy that's going to be fun to watch. I mean, he's an action fighter. Even when he loses, when he gets knocked out in seconds. Uh, he, he's very aggressive on the feet. He's a bit of a wild man. He throws a lot of power shots. He loves to brawl. Uh, I have some few, few issues with that, be, you know, from a exit and O's and because he, he loads up on everything, so it makes himself easy to counter. He's also very hittable. And his chin has been jacked in the past, like like he did in his last fight. Uh, and when he's not knocked out, he's also been hurt a lot. And it seems like every fight he gets tagged one or two clean times. Uh, but he's a good wrestler, too. He backs up his wild style into his entries. Sometimes he shoots from too far away without setting up. But if he kind of gets a scramble going, he's really good at winning the scramble. I like that he also likes to land shots. I said this last time about him. He likes to land shots in the scrambles. He's not just trying to win the wrestling battle, but he'll land while they're still scrambling. Uh, he'll break from the clinch and land a, an elbow on the way out, stuff like that. He does have three submission wins. He loves his guillotine. He'll jump on that. There's opportunities there. And he's got great cardio. Regardless, you know, there's a bit of a lack of athleticism and explosiveness in his game. But he has a cardio just to make up for just making a, a tough fight. Now, Valdez, Valdez is also extremely aggressive. So this could be a really fun fight right off the bat. Uh, he's very hittable because of that, but he hits hard himself. Uh, he is very wild, like more wild than than Favola. He loads up on everything. He does have some hard kicks, but he will throw them without any setup, leaving them open to counters. Um, he really, and a lot of his strikes, he leaves himself open to counters because he loads up on anything. He'll, he'll overreach for his shots. He'll, um, he doesn't sustain distance at all. Like he'll, he'll throw a shot and almost like knock himself over because he's trying to land the, the, you know, land the perfect shot. Uh, but he'll, but that'll happen. Like what this happened a lot. He'll throw a punch and almost falls into wrestling, like without trying to, because he throws a punch <laughs> and next he's, he's chest to chest with his opponent um, if if he gets there, he can take you down. Not the best top control. Um, going back to the contender series fight, he was easily reversed uh, by Patrick White. And, and if you haven't seen that contender series fight, it's a really really fun fight. Check it out. It's 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 a it's a it's a banger. If they gave if they gave out fight of the night bonuses on oh, contender yeah. series, that yeah that been, yeah it's one of the best fights of the season. Uh, he's also a guy that will jump into submissions that really aren't there or chase submissions, but he does have three subs in his career. So that's good. I am worried about his cardio though, because he's kind of, he's a guy who comes out of the gate like a madman. And even though he knocked out Patrick White, he was gassing in that. Like he, he, it, it was a, I'm throwing shots, but I'm still, my hands are low. I'm breathing really hard. Um, so as far as prediction goes, I'm going to go with Frivola because both guys are madmen, but I think Valdez's style is actually going to set up for Vola's takedowns, uh, especially if he if he's winding up throwing these big haymakers. Plus, if Valdez looks to wrestle, I think Vola's just the overall better wrestler that he could win those exchanges. And I think Valdez is going to be completely gassed out. And Favola hasn't got a stoppage in a really long time, and I actually wrote down on my notes for Vola by a decision. But I think I'm going to talk myself into a Favola stoppage. Uh, we'll say I'll say he catches a submission in the third round. Uh, I I like the breakdown there, and this is a bit of a two true outcome fight. I mean, even with your pick, 
what what you've what you've said and all the reasoning you've given behind it. If Valdez comes out and starts as this man in forty five seconds, will you be surprised? <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's like no. if Valdez wins, that's what I expect. Yeah, like that is what Valdez does, and for better or worse, that's what Favola does. Like he has two sub one minute knockouts in his UFC run. Uh, he is sometimes too fun for his own good, and I, I agree. Like uh, Favola, he's a slow starter. Not in the John Jones sense. He's a slow starter in the Donald Cerrone sense, where he wants to be in the fight, but he just it takes him a minute to, to really get into it, and he's vulnerable early. Like as we've seen, he's gotten too, he's gotten absolutely blitzed. Uh, but for a guy that is as wild as he is, as you pointed out, he has good cardio and he's good at winning fights going away. I mean, Jalen Turner has way higher upside than uh, Matt Frivola does, but Frivola. You know, Jalen Turner is the spider. That fight looked exactly like a real fight between a steamroller and a spider would. Like, uh, th there was just there was no question about it. Uh, he also <laughs> nice beat... job, man. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, he, he handled Luis Pena the same way, and with Pena, he was dealing with someone that had greater reach and is at least a better offensive wrestler. Like we've we've had the discussion that Pena's defensive wrestling is no great stakes, but it's surprisingly good offensive wrestler and. Uh, Favola actually executed the right game plan to beat the guy. Uh, he's better than his record looks. I mean, he, he the loss to Terrence McKinney, again, that's going to happen to Matt Favola from time to time. That's what's going to keep him from ever stringing together enough wins to make it into the UFC lightweight rankings, probably. But Armin Sarukian, we, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think we both agree that Armin Sarukian is a top 10 level talent. and I think he Absolutely. might even be in the top 10. And he missed weight for that fight. You know, like, like what, what's a man supposed to do? Yeah. Uh, here, if if Frivola survives the first round, I really do think this is his fight to win. And I could certainly see it going the, the way that you seem to see it, where Frivola just starts, well, steamrolling an increasingly tired Valdez and finds that sub or, or that, you know, TKO in the ground in the third round. I can totally see that happening. I'm going to take the safer bet and say that Frivola wins a decision going away. He might get hurt in the first round. You know, good chance he loses the first round, but he wins the second. And by the third round, the only question is whether Valdez makes it to the final bell. So uh, give me Frivola by decision. Next up, we have a strawweight matchup that uh, was pushed back by a week. So it goes from UFC on ESPN 32 to the undercard of UFC 270. It's two women both looking for their first UFC win in Silvana Juarez and Vanessa Demopoulos. Uh Juarez, the 32-year-old Argentinian uh, out fighting out of Mexico. Again, another uh, a fighter from Entrum Gym, Brandon Moreno's home gym. Uh, she is 10-3 overall. She's 0-1 in the UFC. She lost her debut back in October by first-round armbar to Lupita Godinez. She will be taking on Demopolis. The 33-year-old, uh, who goes by Lil Monster, is 6-4 and four overall. She's 0-1 since joining the UFC uh, as a veteran of, but not a winner on, Dana White's Contender Series uh, 2020 season. She lost her UFC debut to J.J. Uh, Aldrich by unanimous decision last August. Uh, two women looking to get their first win in the octagon. The odds makers say that Demopolis is the favorite to do so. She is minus 140, uh Juarez plus 120 as the slight underdog. Uh to me this actually uh is a pretty straightforward fight to call like to to see how this one's likely to to turn out. You just have to watch their uh you, you know kind of w watch 
watch uh, Juarez's you know, fight in the UFC where she kind of got thrown all over the place by uh, Lupe Godinez and then armbarred because that is exactly what Vanessa Demopoulos does at her best. You know, like a uh, slightly undersized straw weight. Well, kind of the Kay Hansen thing where she's not tall, but she's kind of compact and, and, and heavily muscled and she's aggressive. Uh, good wrestler, good grappler, not a super positional grappler. She is one who will get like a little, uh, I mean, obviously she's extremely creative. This is a woman who uh, slapped on an inverted triangle choke to win the LFA title, uh, but against UFC level fighters, that may be to her detriment because yeah, like she is all out and going for uh, wild submissions, doesn't always secure position, but uh, Silvano Juarez is exactly the kind of fighter that is likely to work on, in in my opinion. Uh, I, I think Demopoulos can follow the same route to victory that uh, Godinez did. So give me Vanessa Demopoulos by first round submission. It should be a real wide, wild fight for as long as it lasts. But I think Juarez is going to oblige Demopoulos with the, exactly the kind of fight she needs in order to win. Yeah. So you're much higher on these fight the Demopolis than I am. I'm I don't have a lot of confidence in this fight because I'm not high on either fighter. Right? I think they're both bottom of the barrel UFC talents. Obviously Demopolis, uh, you know, former LFA champ, so you, you like that. Um, she's I, I said I wasn't gonna do it, but I have to do it. She has this stripper background where her mom's a stripper, dad's a DJ. It's just some I say it every time I say it. It's just really weird shit. Well, I'm gonna, back yeah. when she was in LFA, we had her listed as Crystal Vanessa Demopoulos, and I yeah, think she just literally stopped going by Crystal when she stopped stripping because that's what you do when you stop stripping. You get you stop calling yourself Crystal. So. That's it. Was that like her? Was that is that was that her like? I think I, no. Name? I think her actual name is Crystal Vanessa Demopoulos, and uh, she just you know started going by her middle name. Like uh, if Crystal was just her stage name, and she fought with that as well, that's that's really yeah. tacky. <laughs> So she's a really weak striker. Um, she she sits on a punch and she stays compact. Her, she's pretty accurate with her right hand, but uh, her and, you know she she stays with her chin tucked and she does well with that. But she she pulls her punches. She does not like getting hit, so she kind of pulls back on her punches. She she loses power. A lot of arm punches. I said this before. She does show a lot of heart. I mean, you go back to the Sam Hughes fight. Sam Hughes was giving her beat in. Cody McKenna was giving her beat in. She kept coming. Um, but her stand-up is a really long way to go before I can get excited about her in the UFC. As far as wrestling, she's not a good wrestler either, as you mentioned. she's She shoots him far away. But if it hits the ground, she's good. So she's one. She's creative, as you said. You talked about her submission. She's great. She also creative with the way she gets the fight to the ground. She will pull guard. She'll Ibanari roll. She's very like Ryan Hall type game to her, uh, and she's a very decorated grappler. She's a five time world champion. She um, she would let you take her down to like defend a takedown by jumping on a guillotine. Uh, I waste my joke again. She's very flexible. They insert some stripper joke in there, uh, but she's got some slick back takes. Very good on bars. You mentioned she hit an inverted triangle against Sam Hughes in a fight that she was losing. So she can kind of get subs everywhere. Now move over to Suarez. Suarez is 37 years old. <laughs> like You can't like that being it's only her second UFC fight. Uh, she ha- has some good experience coming from KSW and Kabate. Like she's, you know, she fought some, you know, fairly high level 
she once challenged uh, Ariana Lipsky for the ti- the KSW title. So you like that, but she, even though I said she's fought some pretty good competition, she's fought in good organizations. Her competition has been actually pretty low. Who she's beat. Um, I'm I'm actually going to give her a pass on her debut, being that she took it on a few days notice. So I'm not going to judge her too much on that. Uh, I'm going to judge her what I've seen on film. She's a boxer, uh, very boxing heavy game, a lot, a lot of like L stepping. Um, she really struggled with the speed of Ariana Lipsky. She was hurt several times by Lipsky. She was hurt by Godinez. Again, I'm giving her a pass on that one. Um, if she gets to her range, though, she likes to throw it out in the pocket, unleash really power hooks. She does have some decent power going back to Lipsky. She did drop Lipsky with a shot briefly. Uh, she likes to attack the body. She throws teep kicks up the middle. Uh, will throw an occasional spinning attack. She she will wrestle a little bit. She'll look, look for snatch singles, but I wouldn't call her a wrestler. And she has the cardio to go deep. I mean, she's going 25 minutes, so 15 minutes shouldn't be hard. So as far as predictions go, I'm reading my notes, and I'm and I'm talking myself into Suarez. Uh, <laughs> but this one is really tough because, to me, it basically comes down to can Demopolis get the fight to the ground? And if she does, she should submit her. She's submitted better fighters than Suarez already in her career. Suarez should have the advantage on the feet. If it stays on the feet, I think she's going to batter. But like we talk about the main event where like you got to do everything right and be perfect, Suarez has to be perfect against Demopolis. She can, she's shown an ability to get submissions late in the fight. And the, even though I'm not high in Demopolis at all, uh, I, I am picking her to get a submission here. Uh, she has the ability to... to to win the fight in a single moment. I think she's going to find that moment. So give me Demopolis. I say she's got a first-round submission uh, late in the first round. We now head to the Bantamweight division and a prospect matchup between Tony Gravely and Simon Oliveira. Gravely, the 30-year-old uh, Virginia native, is 21-7 and overall. He is 2-2 two and two since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he is looking to get things back on track after a second-round TKO loss to Nate Maness at UFC Fight Night Smith versus Span back last September. He will be welcoming to the Octagon uh, Simon Oliveira, a product of the 2020 season of the Contender Series. Uh, he is... 30-year-old out of Brazil, 18-3 and three overall, and as stated before, uh, will be making his first appearance in the Octagon on Saturday. Gravely a comfortable favorite, minus 240. You can get Oliveira around plus 190 or plus 195 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, how, how do you like this fight, and uh, who do you think wins? Uh, this is a very intriguing matchup. I think it's uh, fairly evenly matched up. Gravely is... Um, a guy that he, even though he got stung on it on the feet his last fight, he's a guy that has shown some improvement. He, you know, came into the UFC as mostly just a wrestler, uh, but now he's kind of turned in a little bit like Matt Farrell, a little bit of a brawler on the feet. He tends to like sit back and then he explodes off that back foot where he closes distance quickly and unloads combos in the pocket. Uh, he's starting to find his power. We saw that in some of his fights, though he has been racked in the past, including his last fight. Uh, as far as the grappling, very strong wrestler, D1 uh, wrestler, drives through his hips well. If if he can get the takedown, though, he can play underneath. He doesn't do any, like, sit-outs or, or um, th- doesn't really work back. He, he, like, there's times he's been sprawled out and he, like, stays there and gets hammer fist, which is obviously disturbing. But if he gets on top, heavy top pressure, uh, strong ground and pound at times, but other times he'll just lay and pray 
in the guard, kind of resting in his opponent's guard. Um, but if a scramble ensues, good back takes. And because he's so wrestling heavy, though, and so explosive on the feet, he can gas out. Like, we've seen him fade. I mean, even his last fight, he was fading. And probably why it led to him getting stopped. Now, move over to Oliveira. Oliveira is a guy that, for making his UFC debut, he's got a lot of experience. He's got, like, 20-something fights, which mm-hmm. which you got to like coming in. Uh, Muay style. Muay Thai style fighter uh, on the feet, uh, kind of bounces that front foot a little bit like the Muay Thai fighters do. Uh, good output, very aggressive, can be a little too aggressive, kind of wild with his power shots. He he, he can overreach, as as I said about another debuting fighter. Um, and his time, like on the contender series, there was times he was just like charging at his foe, just throwing wildly, kind of uh, Francis Engado versus. Jarzino Rosenstruck without the crazy knockout at the end, like the the part before that, uh, which could really help Gravely get the takedown even more if he does that. Uh, He kept throwing the stupid spinning back fist that just did not land. It it looked like an unnecessary, like almost dance step to his to his exchanges. Uh, Defensively, a lot of holes. Uh, He pillars, which I don't want, you know, like not a lot of head movement. Uh, a lot of kicks, though. Teep kicks, calf kicks. I like that. He will look to wrestle, but I wouldn't say he's a powerful wrestler. Uh, if he's on top, though, heavy top pressure, he does look to advance. He was doing that in his contender series matchup where he was passing the guard. And he's got 11 submissions. So I, th- so as far as prediction goes, I think Oliver's style is perfect for Gravely, being that yeah, you should set up Gravely's takedowns if he's too aggressive. And then if he looks to wrestle, that's what Gravely wants anyways. Kind of very similar to, like I said, Gravely's fighting a little bit like Favola. This matchup is very similar to Favola's matchup where uh, this style should help Gravely wrestle. Gravely is going to have to avoid a submission. I mean, the guy's got 11 submissions on his career. He's got to worry about guillotines and arm bars coming up. But uh, Gravely's shown him, I and he's a true veteran, uh, I doubt that he gets submitted. I see Gravely getting takedowns. I think he's going to win like a pretty safe, maybe even a boring decision. That's that's interesting. Like, I, I'll I'll go ahead and like spoil things. I I'm not picking Oliveira in this fight, but th- kind of like you said about the last fight, um, Demopoulos versus Juarez. Like, I th- you're more confident in the result here than I am because while I favor Gravely in this fight, and I understand why he's a two to one favorite. This has upset written all over it to me. Like I'm just considering that Gravely's problem. Like, well, he, he has he has a few problems, but one of his big problems is, you know, even though he is a very good wrestler, just he has lapses where you know he has shot straight in the guillotines or has just gotten complacent for a second and allowed people to spin around and take the back in the middle of a, of a sprawl. Like that's I mean that's Oliveira's game. Like snatching the guillotine is kind of what he does or you know forcing uh scrambles and you know taking the back or being able to to catch a, an arm bar like i can see gravely just totally blundering into something like that in the first or second round but i i do think that's the outside chance you know that would constitute an upset which is why the odds are what they are so i'm with you i think gravely wins a, a decision but if I were the type to put money on on this fight, or if this was part of my parlay, I would not be comfortable at all with this fight until that that final uh, horn rings. Just because Gravely again has had so many kind of mental lapses and lapses in attention, and Oliveira is such an opportunist when it comes to the the grappling game. 
we now head to the welterweight division and in keeping with several of the themes of uh ufc 270 it is a uh, debuting fighter off of the contender series it is a teammate of brandon moreno and it is a fighter changing weight class for no apparent reason in other words it is michael morales uh against trevin giles morales the 21 year old ecuadorian fighting out of mexico again and from uh and from jim is a perfect 12 and 0 in his mixed martial arts career he beat nikolai veritenikov a uh, former Fury FC welterweight champion on the contender series in September to punch his ticket to the big show. And this is his debut and uh, welcoming him to the UFC, even as he welcomes him to the uh, 170 pound weight class will be Trevin Giles. The uh, Houston cop is 29 years old, 14 and three overall five and three since joining the UFC as a LFA standout. He is coming off a loss, a second round TKO at the hands of Drakus Duplessis last July at UFC 264. But prior to that, he had been on a three-fight win streak, uh, those three wins being a, frankly, you know, controversial split decision over a short-notice James Krause, then a knockout of Bevon Lewis, and a unanimous, unanimous decision over Roman DeLeeds back in uh, March. Uh, odds on this one? Morales is the slight favorite. He is minus 130. Giles is available at even money or better right now as of Wednesday night of fight week. He's plus 10, plus 110. Uh, this is an interesting one. And I, you know, I say Trevin Giles dropping to Walter Wade for no good reason. Like, obviously, he and his team have a reason behind this. But it, it is interesting because so often dropping in weight, it's it's the move of a fighter who's either like in his mid to late 30s or trying to turn things around and get one more chance when they're on like a, a really bad losing streak or something like that. And neither is the case for Giles. He's still not even 30 years old. And while, yeah, he lost badly to Duplessis, he, again, he'd been on a three fight winning streak before that. And he was actually kind of scraping up against the bottom of the middleweight rankings. Uh, so it, it is a curious move because he's not a small dude. He's a, he's a Houstonian. I've met him in person plenty of times. I've been to his gym. I'm friends with his coach. He's, he's not a small five. He fought Bushnak well, at 205. He debuted in the UFC at 205, and <laughs> he came to the UFC like he went 10 and 0 or 11 and 0, you know, on regional scenes to get here. But I mean, he he beat Ike Villanueva, Brendan Allen, uh, Ryan Spann. Like this dude can fight your big and tall fighters. It's it's interesting that this dude. I mean, think of how big Ryan fucking Spann is. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so it's an interesting move, uh, and. I, I featured him in my column this week, you know, about fighters who are under additional pressure than just the straight W's and L's for whatever reason. He's created this pressure for himself because uh, he's made the risk and reward much higher. If he goes out there and whoops Morales, he will have he'll end up jumping the line at welterweight. You know, welterweight is probably the hardest division in the UFC to break into the top 10. Like, I'm not saying it's the best division, but it's the hardest one to, like, break into the top ten. You have to win five, six, seven fights in a row unless you were a contender Just from another division. Edwards. Just look at Leon Edwards. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, but one way to jump the line is to already be a contender in another division and then move up or down. Like, you think of Michael Chiesa or Gilbert Burns moving up from uh, uh, from 155. So if Giles whoops Morales, he's on the radar immediately. Like he's he's going to jump right past some of your other people and he might get a top 15, top 10 type opponent in his next fight. If he loses, and especially 
if you know he looks dehydrated, if he gasses out, God help him if he blows weight, this is going to look like, why'd you do this? You know, you were fine. You know, just go back and beat a couple more middleweights. So he's put additional pressure on himself. Uh, this is going to sound like a Homer thing of me to say, you know, and I, I, I make it plain that, you know, I, I like Houston fighters to do well, but I mean, I, I know Trevin, I've seen him in the gym plenty of times. Again, I, you know, I, I consider Jeremy Mayen the head coach at War MMA. I, I consider him a friend, but Trevin Giles has yet to put together a performance in the UFC that really puts together all the tools he has in the gym. Like he's a guy that either he's going to go down as just an incredible underperformer compared to his potential, or he's going to turn a corner one of these days and he is going to be a top five talent in whatever division he's in. Cause he has all the skills. He is a good wrestler. He's a good boxer with tremendous natural power. He's not the kind of guy that overswings on things. And unless he has just gotten into get sloppy mode, which I'll get to in a minute, but, but when he stays within himself, he's a solid boxer who just generates power from being naturally strong and having good technique. Uh, he's, he's good on the ground though he will sometimes choose to go there or end up, you know, allowing the ground game at times when it's not to his best advantage. I mean, think of Gerald fucking Mearshart, where, you know, he, he managed to give Mearshart his only real plausible avenue to success. Uh, it's an interesting test for him to be facing Morales because kind of like we talked about Kay Hansen moving up to 125 and just immediately getting saddled with an incredibly tall and lengthy flyweight, Giles is moving down to 170 and getting matched against a guy who's going to be taller than him and having longer reach. Uh, Morales, very raw product. Like, it's almost impressive that he has 12 fights and he's only 21 years old. Uh, you know, that's that's an age where a lot of fighters in the U.S., uh, you know, they are they have like six amateur fights and three pro fights. Um, but no, Morales, you know, coming up through South American promotions, not always the greatest competition, but Nikolai Veritenikov that he beat on contender series is a legit guy. He's a guy that I frankly expected to already be in the UFC by now. And Morales beat him. Uh, he has good skills in, in all three phases. I think he has, I, I think he's like going to stick around and be a UFC fight level fighter, no, no matter what happens on Saturday. But, uh, to me, this really hinges on like how the weight cut goes for Giles. It's just introduce another element of uh, chaos into the whole thing. Going on the assumption that Giles is managing his weight cut properly and he's going to make 170 comfortably and be essentially the same fighter he is at 185, it then becomes a question of do we get like the the sharp, self-contained uh, Trevin Giles or do we get the one that does have occasional lapses in fight IQ and strategy? All of those make this a fight that even if, if I were a betting man, again, I'd never bet on this thing, but uh, it, th there's value represented there in Giles being an underdog because by all rights, you know, he should be the stronger fighter. He's the more experienced fighter, especially at the highest levels. Uh, and while Morales is well-rounded, I don't think he has any one particular skill that's better than Giles. So uh, give me Giles. Uh, and I'm going to say Giles gets it done with a second round uh, knockout, but I have no idea what happens once, you know, that cage door closes. Yeah. So you said that, you know, you'd be biased towards Houston fighters. Don't, don't forget, this is our guy, man. This is the official guy of, of the show. Yeah. Is it, he's got the, there's Houston no hiatus. Connect. Like th this dude, like he's in his cruiser, like, you know, Tuesday morning, he's back to work, you know? Yeah. So, uh, Trevor Giles, 
he's you said some things about him like he has shown a lot of good skills he's a very technically sound boxer and i say boxer because he really didn't throw any kicks so it's really just mostly hands uh good footwork good movement fast hands stinging jab uh, i've talked about before he dropped bevin lewis with a with a jab with an up jab uh, he can cruise at times when he really should pick up the pace, which I don't like. But he does have nice power. Will that power go down with him to welterweight? That's a big uh, who knows. He can also chase the KO by landing one punch at a time. That's where I kind of go with the cruising, where he wants this like beautiful walk-off shot. Uh, he keeps his hands low, which hurts him defensively, but does open up his jab for him because he comes from a different angle. To, um, but uh, that cost him in the last fight because he – yeah, he was knocked out by Duplessis, but he was looking great until he got knocked out. So um, he's very physically strong, which obviously is a concern moving down to welterweight. Will, will he be more dehydrated? And um, usually he's a guy that you talk about. He hasn't put it all together, but he's shown skills everywhere, both in, with his hands uh, and his grappling, where he willing to just grind against the fence, where you're out, mix in some takedowns with the striking. He's got pretty good entries though he doesn't wrestle enough to really be a threat there. But he showed really good takedown defense against a guy like Roman Delizzi, who wants to take him down. Bevan Lewis was trying to take him down. Though there was a time where he was subbed in back-to-back fights. Uh, one of them was against Zach Cummings. He came a little bit more of an exhaustion than anything. But that kind of leads into my last point about his cardio. He showed a little bit of cardio issues before at middleweight. <laughs> I expect it to be worse at welterweight, especially if, he had, if he's had a tough... Weight cut. Now, Morales, you mentioned 22 years old. That's scary to me because he's at – that's the age where they just start proving everything you see on tape could be completely different. You mentioned his his reach, long reach, busy jab. Um, he We talked about Tony Gravely where Tony Gravely like springs into his power shots off his back foot. Morales does kind of the same thing. Uh, does some some head movement problems. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't really move his head for my liking. He will throw single strikes. Uh, and he will make the mistake of throwing from his hips. He keeps his hands really low. Uh, but a lot of kicks, good hard kicks too. But um, he will throw them without any setup. So that's open for a nice, clean right hand from from Giles. Um, one thing I do like about him, I talk about throwing single shots. As the fight went on and he started pulling away and he was done to land on the contender series, he really picked up the pace. Um, he was build, a bit of a builder. He's a good wrestler. Uh, he's a national Ecuador wrestling champion. Uh, I'll listen other countries wrestling. Take that for what you will. Actually, Ecuador has a little bit better wrestling than Canada, but um, <laughs> so does Antarctica. But um, so he's good at winning wrestling exchanges, but he only has one submission in his young careers, which I don't like that. Uh, so as far as prediction goes, I'm going with Trevin Giles. He's a police officer. I'm a police officer. I have one rule. I have one bias. I'm not picking against police officers. Uh, however, even if he wasn't a cop, I think I'd still take him because I think he's the cleaner, more polished striker at this point. I think Morales is is going to be a good addition to the UFC, but this is a really tough test in, in your UFC debut. I think Giles can work his job from the outside if he's getting if he's you know, getting kicked. He could slide in the pocket, start crowding the kicks, land the bigger power shots, especially if Morales doesn't set up his kicks. I I, I could also see him if if the weight cut goes well, I could see him just being too big and using his strength and in his already solid takedown defense to really tie Morales down when he can't get Giles down. So uh, give me Giles and 
he doesn't. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm not, I'm I'm a little concerned about his power going to welterweight, so I'll say Giles by decision. But I uh, and to mix it up a little different than you, so give me Giles by decision. There you go. Uh, two picks for the number one pound for pound fighter in the sport, Houston police officer Trevin Giles. The UFC 270 prelims stay in the welterweight division, and it is a matchup of debuting prospects in Jack De La Maddalena and Pete Rodriguez. De La Maddalena, the uh, 25-year-old Australian, is 10-2 overall. Uh, he won on Dana White's Contender Series back in September, uh, taking a unanimous decision over Ange Lusa uh, to earn his UFC contract. He will be uh, greeting... Rodriguez, who took a slightly more direct route to the big show, as he is also 25 years old, fighting out of Southern California, but he is just 4-0 as, as a pro, and all those fights have taken place in the last 18 months. Uh, most recently, uh, got a first-round TKO in uh, Icon Fighting Federation back in June, and uh, he makes his, uh, his debut here as just a 4-0 fighter. Uh, odds here do heavily favor the Australian. He is minus 330. Uh, Rodriguez plus 260. I tell you what I did yesterday, Keith. I watched Pete Rodriguez's entire uh, professional career, all nine minutes of it. He's 4-0. All four <laughs> fights took place, again, you know, within about the last 18 to 20 months. All of them were first-round knockouts. All of them knockouts in the first half of the first round. Like, he literally has, yeah. like, like, seven minutes of tape. Uh, from what I've seen from that tape, I mean – he kind of presents as a striker, but most of his wins have kind of taken place on the floor. He's like hustled the dude to the floor and and uh, pounding them out, uh, you know, down there, at least in terms of like his actual cage time. He seems like an ultra, ultra raw product to me. Um, I'm interested to hear what, what you have to say about him. But, you know, like I'm I'm heavily leaning towards uh, De La Maddalena just as a much more experienced product and a much more known quantity. Uh, you know, someone who's kind of been bouncing around the oceanic scene for a while and we figured would probably make it here sooner or later, as opposed to Rodriguez, who really has just come out of nowhere. Like looking at his tape, he's someone that looks to me like he someone like who should be getting attention from the contender series a year from now when he's seven and oh, and instead is just coming straight to the UFC. Uh, let me know what you think about this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find my notes. I'm, scro I'm scrolling. I don't know what I do with them. I think I deleted my notes on these guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the, I'm just winging it now. Uh, so the Rodriguez guy, like you said, 25 years old, he's four and four first round stoppages. It's, as you mentioned, it's really hard to get a like firm grasp on this guy because he knocks everyone out so quickly. You mentioned that some of it's on the feet. Some of it's, is from grind upon, um, tight boxing. I'll say that like everything comes inside, like his punches are coming from the, like the inside angles. I like that huge power. If he connects, uh, he switches stances, so he fights him in both stances. He also attacks, which I like. Like he'll he'll attack from two different angles. So he'll come in, he'll switch stances in the middle of his attack. So it comes from different angles. That's some like real maturity on that. Uh, we'll look for a takedown, but like I wouldn't say he's a wrestler, but like it, the competition doesn't look that good that he's faced. Uh, and then obviously the huge huge question mark for a guy that you mentioned was like nine minutes of, of tape. Uh, you could, I mean, we're talk we're talk about this fight longer than his his actual time. Uh, yeah, he's got an amateur career too, but as a professional, is not much. But the big question mark is his gas tank. Like, can he go, you know, deep into a fight? Now, move over to uh, Della Madalena. Now, there's a lot more. I mean, he's also young. He's 25. Very boxing style. 
tight boxing, strong defense, like defensive skills. I like that he's um, he can fight out of both stances, but he also he uses footwork well. He lateral moves well. Uh, he's accurate with his, his offense. Uh, he's a little bit of a slow starter, but he's a builder. As the fight goes on, he turns it up a little bit when he starts finding his range. I like that he works the body. Very slip and rip style. He's a bit of a counter striker where he's, you know, gets just out of range, lands shots. I, I like that he, in one fight I was watching him, he was getting inside and sending from an elbow, similar to what we just saw Calvin Cater do to uh, Gig Chikotsi, like get inside, do that. Um, Wasn't that beautiful? I'm so sad we didn't do the recap because I wanted to talk about that. But anyway, sorry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> there you go. We just did. Uh, <laughs> he, so one negative about the heavy boxing style is that he is a little open to leg kicks because he's he's heavy on like his pivots and and that that because of that he's heavy on his front foot. Uh, but he's got plus power. He's got eight KOs. Uh, as far as grappling, he comes from a judo background. He will shoot for takedowns. Uh, decent entries. I don't like that he'll shoot from far away without any setups. I don't like. I don't like that. But he's a good scrambler, and he'll win scrambles. And then even go back to like his contender series when he was getting taken down, he was Granby rolling. He was he what he wasn't. What I love that he wasn't. He was committed to get back up. He wasn't like settling to begin taken down. So as far as prediction goes, again, Rodriguez has all this power, but he's beating low level guys. He's taking this fight on short notice, uh, and I, Madalena like looks good. Like, I like him. I like what I've seen in him. Um, I think he avoids an early storm, and I think he just starts taking over. He builds and gets stronger and stronger. I see him getting a stoppage. I see Medellin knocks him out in the second round. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you on this. I, you know, I have no idea whether Pete Rodriguez is a, a true prospect or, or UFC level, whereas I strongly suspect that Della Madalena is. And based on that alone, I, I see it going the same way you do. He might be cautious in the beginning just to avoid what clearly is serious first-round power, but starts rolling downhill on him. I'm going to go with the third-round stoppage. Uh, but, yeah, could certainly see it happening in the second as well. Second from the top of the UFC 270 undercard is a featherweight matchup between Ilya Tapuria and Charles Jordan. Tapuria, the 24-year-old uh, Georgian by way of Spain, is a perfect 11-0 in his mixed martial arts career. He is a perfect 3-0 in the UFC. Those wins coming over Yusef Zalal, Damon Jackson, and most recently at uh, UFC 264 last July, Ryan Hall, whom he completely dominated, shrugged off Hall doing Hall things and pounded him out uh, on the ground late in the first round. Uh, he'll be taking on... Uh, Jordan, who steps up for Movsar Ivluev on short notice. The 26-year-old uh, Quebecois is 12-4-1 overall. He is 3-3-1 in the UFC, and he fought just a couple weeks ago, uh, taking a unanimous decision over Andre Ewell at UFC Fight Night uh, 199, Lewis versus Dawkins. Uh, odds on this one, the widest on the card, Tapuria out there well over minus 500, uh, good average is around minus 510, minus 515, Jordan available close to plus 400 on the comeback, uh, I see him at plus 375, plus 380. Keith, can you imagine how much it sucks to be Ilya Tapuria this week? I mean, he was headed for a matchup with Movsar Ivloyev that if you're as high on these two as Keith and I both are, you're looking at the future of the uh, featherweight division in a couple of 24, 25-year-old guys with perfect records where I was I was getting so charged up to talk about Tapuria versus uh, Avloyev, and I was going to say, 
no matter how this fight goes on Saturday, these guys are going to fight at least once more, and it's probably going to be either for a title or in a title eliminator like three or four years from now. Uh, I, I almost was sad that it was happening so early in so relatively early in their careers. And Taporia goes from that matchup, like arguably the highlight of the card outside of the, the top two fights, and now he is in a no-win situation. There's two kinds of sure. fighters who really face unrealistic expectations. There are fighters who are fighting against an opponent stepping up on short notice and fighters that are like the biggest favorite on the card. And Tapori is now both. And he's taking on someone in Jordan that, I mean, Taporia, yeah, he'd been on a fight camp preparing for a fight, but he had been preparing to fight a relentless wrestler and grappler in Evloev. He now has to turn on a dime and get ready for like a quick strike flying uh, knockout artist. And Considering that kind of the go-to strategy for short notice opponents is, I know I don't have the gas tank. I'm going to throw everything I have at him for three minutes until and hope he falls down. Jordan is much more dangerous in that situation than Evloyev would have been if the situation were reversed. Like, it's it's no win for Tapuria because if he goes out and tries to put on a show and like show like you know, this is why I'm a minus five hundred favorite. There's every chance that he ends up on the wrong side of the highlight reel. But if he just goes out and he's like, just survive, advance, get the W, then he has to deal with people being like, well, you know, he underperformed. Like, look, Charles Jordan came in on like eight days notice and, you know, he, he took him to the to the final belt. It sucks for Taboria. Outside of that, though, this is, I mean, this matchup, this matchup heavily favors Taboria, even if they're on full fight camps. Um, the... The great thing uh, about uh, Taporia that we've seen so far is, one, he's a physical specimen. Like, he's an extremely powerful, athletic, explosive featherweight. Uh, he's probably going to be at physical advantages over everyone he fights until he gets into the title picture. Like, even against Ivloyev, he was going to be a much bigger guy. Um, so he's got that going for him. And then he's incredibly well-rounded. Like, he's a good striker. He has good power. Uh and he's a good grappler as well. Like, he just completely no-sold everything Ryan Hall tried to do with him. And I picked Hall for the upset in that one. I mean, I knew it was going out on a limb. But I was like, you know, this would be the most Ryan Hall thing ever. Just like a walking infomercial for jiu-jitsu. If, if he just, like, does an, a slides, does an Imanari roll, and taps out, like, the UFC's best prospect at 145. And Tapuria, he's too good a grappler for that. Um, that spells bad news for Jordan. Because, yeah, Jordan is, uh, I mean, he, he's an exciting striker. He definitely has power. He hits people with unexpected stuff, but who knows how much gas he's going to be going to have like three or four weeks from his last fight. And just, that's not the kind of thing that I think Deporey is going to fall for. Uh, I have the feeling Jordan's going to like make it interesting for a while, but uh, give me Deporey by, I'm going to say third round submission, just survives Jordan, wears him out, shows clear superiority. He's probably going to be able to take Jordan down when he wants to. I don't know if Tapori will always have the wrestling advantage, but he will here. And once he has some fun with Jordan on the feet in the first round, he's going to take the path of less resistance, just take him down and and choke him out, probably third round. Yeah. Even though I took Tapori, now I wish Ryan Hall did exactly what you said, because <laughs> that would have been awesome. And then he just, he just like, Imanari rolls, submits Tapori, just gets up, no smile, face all like grumpy looking and and uh, yeah ryan hall looks like the kid who just got woke up from his by his mom because he has to go to school like that like the 
fifteen year old boy, and then he just gets up and before he gets dressed, he kinda like does this slow like moping walk to the bathroom so he can go pee first. Yeah. Like that's oh, the right almost like all he's the even got the hair of a fifteen year old kid that's just got woken <laughs> up by his mom. <laughs> uh back to, to back to, to this fight. Um yeah, I get what you're saying. Like all the pressure's on Tapora for sure. Um, but I think Tapora can handle it. This guy is so skilled. We're, we're both really high on him. Well rounded, very classic wrestle boxer type game. Accurate striking. Uh, I love how he jumps in a range and just unloads heavy shot, accurate shots. I love his overhand right, big power. Uh, he he gets these power shots because he he sets it up with going to the body first. Forcing them to lower their hands. He's a really, really good wrestler. Greco-Roman background. Incredible hip control, both uh, driving through his opponent's hips, using his hip, keeping his base underneath himself, uh, shooting on shoot on him and just hip heist over you. Uh, if he gets a position, he'll get his get uh, get um, yeah his hip position behind your hip. Like everything is always good. He's so technically sound, winning it. Uh, go back to like the Yusuf Salal fight where he suplexed Yusuf Salal, which is like crazy. Uh, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. When he's on the ground, he looks to advance position. He is a submission threat himself. He's very aggressive to get in the submission, so he's fun with that. He loves, like, head attacks. When I, when I say head attacks, I'm talking about Darce chokes, anacondas, the ones where you're checking, you know, the throat. Um, he loves his topside guillotine. Uh, he showed that he's not just a good grappler. He's an elite grappler because he didn't get subbed by Ryan Hall. That's all you have to say. And then he dispatched some really scary ground and pound in that fight. Move over to Jordan. Jordan is a, an action fighter who I said before can't be in a boring fight. That still stands true. I mean, look at his last fight against Andreol, where he's he finishes the fight with the the three hundred. This is Sparta kick at the very end, which was which was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Um, he's he's very athletic. He's very fast. So he has these like he has those qualities. Like he can match Deporis' athleticism, which not very people say. Like that's what Jordan has. Uh, he and he has the cardio to to go. I mean, he showed that he he, he really opened my eyes in that fight against Andrew. Just like not that long ago, uh, what I love is that he really made an adjustment after the first round. Like Andrew Ewell was beating him, beat him in the first round. He was getting pressed back by Ewell, and then he's like, "Oh wait, I shouldn't do that." He lost the first round, and then he came out the aggressor, fought at an insane pace, and just broke Andrew Ewell. Um, to the point where he Sparta kicks him to the ground at the end and screams over him, which is still one of my favorite moments in, of of the year. Uh, he he can make the mistake of overthrowing his shots and kind of completely abandoning his, his defense, which makes Jordan very hittable. But his offense is sharp. He's got a sharp left hand. Uh, I love his lead up a cut. Uh, he will throw some flying attacks, which I mean he made like land a flying knee and knock out the or something like that. Uh, but hard kicks, especially his kicks to the body. I am a little worried about it. Well, as I said, I was worried about his chin in the past. Big dude getting hurt by Joshua Kulbao, who I'm not very high on. But he showed that that was a thing of the past in his last fight because against Andre Yule, he was walking through shots, didn't seem phased at all. Uh, I used to say that um, he had moments in fights where he took it off due to his like insane style and it's kind of hard to sustain. But that wasn't the case against Andrew Unless you want to say he took the first round off. But the second or third round, he fought at a crazy pace. When we were going crazy on the in the recap show. He is a submission threat. He does have three career submissions. Uh, he he was looking for a guillotine against Kuba. He had to jump into that. 
Uh, he does have a good get-up game. You put him on his back. But he was subbed by Julian Arosa two fights ago, which I don't like. So as far as prediction goes, Jordan really had a moment against Rule. Like besides the the this is Sparta moment, just like just seemed like a turning point where he can really mm-hmm. build it. Just maybe seemed like it was a special moment. Um, but this is just a completely different fighter. Uh, I think Jordan can build on that moment. Just this isn't the fight. Taporia is special. I think he runs right through Jordan. I, I I see him landing the the better shots on the feet, setting up his takedown, which I think Jordan will either will, will either make it easier to get taken down by jumping for that guillotine, which might be his only hope, or throwing kicks that he just catches. But once once he's on top, I see Jordan getting smashed in by Taporia. I think Jordan's going to make a mistake in a scramble. I think he's going to give up his back, and I think Taporia's going to catch him in a submission. Uh, maybe one of these Darce jokes or topside guillotine or something like that. I think Taporia's going to do it in the very first round. So give me Taporia by first round submission. The top prelim at UFC 270 is Honey Barcelos versus Victor Henry. And it is a matchup that was actually made for the UFC Vegas 45 card back in December. It got pushed to uh, this card because of COVID protocols. It was three or four weeks ago. Literally nothing has changed. So I'm about to splice in our preview segments from uh, December. So if you see that Keith's shirt changes, I all of a sudden need a haircut. Don't adjust your dial. I don't know why your computer would have dials, but at any rate, you know what I mean. Uh, Enjoy that, and we'll be back to start on the main card in just a minute. Second from the top of the UFC Fight 199 prelims is a bantamweight matchup between Honey Barcelos and the debuting Victor Henry. Barcelos, the 34-year-old Brazilian, is 16-2 overall. He is 5-1 in the UFC. Joined the UFC back in 2018, uh, led right off with five straight wins over increasingly impressive opposition, Uh, had a couple of higher-profile fights fall out for him. He had been scheduled to fight people like Marab Dwalishvili, Cody Stamen. Those, you know, all fell out for various reasons, his injuries, injuries to them. And he ended up losing uh, to Tamor Valiev back in June at UFC Fight Night Gone versus Volkov. That was a majority decision uh, against another of the very most promising prospects in the, in the division. At any rate, he'll be looking to bounce back from his first UFC loss against the debuting Henry, uh, the 34 year old California native and longtime protege of former UFC champ, Josh Barnett is 21 and five overall. And as one might expect of a Barnett disciple, uh, really made his name on Asian regional circuits. He fought in Pancrase, Ryzen and so forth has fought more overseas than in the U S but he does get the call up here, and uh, the odds makers at least have predicted that this will be tough sledding for him as Barcelos enters as a minus 310 favorite, Henry plus 255 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, we are both high on Barcelos as uh, a prospect, you know, to the point that, you know, it's almost uh, a running gag that we do the Honey Barcelos thing you know, after a win and we go up the top 15, you know, to see how many people we think they'd beat before, you know, we run into somebody that, that we don't. Uh, that has to cool a little bit in the wake of the Valiev loss, but he's got enough to get past Victor Henry, doesn't he? Yeah, so just so people aren't disappointed in the recap, all we've done is transfer it to Valiev. So now we're going to do it with Valiev. Until he oh, loses, yeah. then we do it with that person. It just, yeah. what, it's like the uh, lineal 
<laughs> ladder champion <laughs> for us. Um, yeah. So, th- what a weird matchup. Not not a weird in in the sense that that Victor Henry shouldn't be in the UFC. I actually, I'll start with Victor Henry. I think he's he's a good addition to the UFC. He's got a good record. I mean, he's fought a lot overseas, uh, a lot of experience for a guy coming in in his UFC debut. He's elusive. A lot of movement. Switches stances, fights out of both stances. He's a serviceable boxer. He can fight at a slow pace, though, using a lot of feints and kind of a little can be trigger shy. But he's a little bit of a builder when he when he starts getting going, when he starts finding him range, he opens up a lot more. So it's more I should say more of a slow starter. He can be a little bit of a slow starter, but a lot of kicks. He likes his cheap kicks. He's got great dexterity at his kicks, where he like he'll throw a leg kick and then just counter it with like a question mark kick to the head. Strong takedown defense. He's got really good hip control. Good use that. Good at winning scrambles. He's got eight submissions on his record, so he is a submission threat. If you take him down, he can he will look for sweep. And cardio is a strength of his, probably because of the way he paces himself. Now, the reason why I say it's a weird stylistic matchup because I mean, Marcellus is a guy who's banging on the rankings, as as you mentioned, taking on a guy coming. You know, in his UFC debut. And I but, should probably interject here. He had been scheduled to fight Trevin Jones, which even that we that might have argued. Yeah. Yeah. We might have even argued that was a weird matchup, but Jones pulled out. And so we get this even weirder one. Sorry. Please and go I, ahead. This is a tougher fight for him. I I mean, in short notice, I don't know what Victor Henry's going to be bringing, but Barcelos uh, just, he, he's really a mixed bag because he's a technically sound striker, like very technically sound. But he's a mixed bag in the sense that at times we've seen him be a pressure counter striker where he's beating people with his pace and his technical skills and kind of he's using his pressure to draw out their attacks for him to counter. But then other times we've seen him fight at a snail's pace and he's scared to pull the trigger. But when he lets his hands go, he's, he's a really clean boxer. His right hand has is a kills shot for him, really accurate, nice leg kicks. Uh, makes mistakes. He doesn't really check leg kicks, but he'll walk through leg kicks to set up his own. And he's a good grappler, good takedown defense, good body lock takedowns. He gets in there, great Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've said, I've said this for a couple of fights now. We broke down in Barcelos. He outgrappled said Nurmagomedov. You outgrappled Nurmagomedov. That should tell you everything about your ground game. Uh, it's really suffocating top control. Uh, one negative, though, is we have seen him slow down recently. Like, his, his gas tank. And he's up there in age. I think he's like, 34, which yep. you don't like at that weight class. So as far as prediction goes, like I said, this is a really tall order for Henry. Barcelos is a tough task for anybody, especially in the UFC debut, make matters worse that he took the fight at about a week's notice. I think Henry's a great addition to the UFC roster. I think he is going to stick around for the UFC for a while, but this is too much too soon. I see Barcelos picking him apart from distance and, and cruising to a lopsided decision. Give me Barcelos by unanimous decision. I'm totally with you here. Uh, Henry is someone that I I almost expected the UFC would have signed him like seven or eight years ago, like even before they signed Barcelos, honestly. I mean, there was a point where he was like 14-1 and one and had just beaten Mazakatsu Ueda, who was a top 10 bantamweight at the time. And I never even really heard a whisper of him coming to a stateside promotion. And from there, he went on to a, a pretty good run in Pancrase, then Ryzen, but has basically been bouncing around Asia ever since. Uh, so 
I mean, I wouldn't say he's completely out of sight, out of mind, but I, I pegged him as someone that probably, he's probably never going to make it to the UFC, you know, maybe even by his own choice. But here he is, and I'd feel better about him as a matchup for Barcelos if, as you pointed out, this weren't happening on, like, a week's notice. Uh, I still wouldn't pick him necessarily to beat Barcelos, but, uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be a, a tough matchup just because the one real problem that Barcelos has displayed of late that, in spite of fighting to conserve his gas tank, he actually still is getting tired late in his fights. I don't know if Henry's going to be in a position to take advantage of that. One, because Henry's not a guy who fights at a torrid pace himself. And then on top of that, of course, this will be on short notice. So uh, it'll be good to have Henry here. I expect he'll stick around for a while. He's 34 as well, but we'll see how much he has left in the tank. But this one should be a pretty clear cut for win for Barcelos. I wouldn't be surprised if he takes all three rounds. All right, there. Much, much better. Got my hat back on. Got a clean shirt. Uh, the UFC 270 main card, five-fight main card, kicks off with a middleweight matchup between Rodolfo Vieira and Wellington Terman. Uh, Vieira, the 32-year-old Brazilian, is 8-1 and one overall. He is 3-1 and one, uh, in the UFC. He won his last time out, uh, getting a third-round rear-naked choke submission of Dustin Stoltzfus at uh, UFC on ESPN, Makachev versus Moises. That allowed him to bounce back from his uh, one and only mixed martial arts defeat. That was a second-round guillotine submission by Anthony Hernandez at UFC 258, one of the more shocking upsets of uh, the year in the optics, if not the odds. He'll be taking on Terman, a uh, fellow countryman, 25-year-old Brazilian, is 17-5 and five overall. He is 2-3 and three in the UFC. He did win his last time out as well, uh, taking a split decision over Sam Alvey at UFC on ESPN, Barboza versus Chikadze. That allowed him to bounce back from back-to-back -back losses to Andrew Sanchez and Bruno Silva, both of those uh, being first-round knockouts. Every possibility that the young man uh, saved his job with that win in August. But however he got here, he is here. He is the underdog. He's plus 185. Vieira minus 225. Uh, Keith, when I think about both these guys, th there is an, an optics or a bias problem for me. Because Wellington Terman has that thing that if a fighter comes to the UFC young enough, I'll get stuck in that mode that like, he just, you know, he's going to put it all together at one of these points and he's going to turn it around and he's going to be exactly. real good. And if it never happens, I, I, unless I stop and somebody corrects me or I correct myself, I'll hang on to that narrative too long. Yeah. Like, you know, you'll like obviously the, the long running joke, if you're a forum or a Reddit guy, is that, you know, Eric, Eric Silva just, you know, he's a young prospect. He just needs a minute to turn around. And we were still saying that when he was like 33 years old, you know, and like in his fourth different promotion since being let go by the UFC. I don't want to uh, do that with, with Terman. He's two and three in the UFC, and there's no real smoke and mirrors there. Like, he has wins over Sam Alvey, who... Every every time Sam Alvey wins, that means that's one more Sam Alvey fight I have to talk about. So, And then over Marcus Perez, who just turned out not to be UFC level. And there's no real smoke and mirrors to the losses. Like, he got blistered by Sanchez and Silva. And while there's no shame in getting blistered by Bruno Silva, he's probably going to do that to some people. Uh, you know, Terman might just be what he is. He might just be a, a borderline UFC middleweight at 25, and he'd still be a borderline one at 35 if he, if he got 20 more fights. I, I don't know. Uh, Rodolfo Vieira has the opposite problem. 
those of us who watched it, especially who watched it in the moment, unspoiled and lived through the shock of it, the the picture of him losing to Anthony Hernandez, it's it's never going to leave me, like the way he did it, like just coming out like a house on fire, nervous, overconfident, like the dude was like hyperventilating in his corner before they they started the fight went for broke for the submission and by the end of the first round you could tell that he was about as gassed as like i i'm gonna coin the mark coleman award for the most gassed fighter i see that year in a high level fight and he might have won the mark coleman award for last year like just bright coleman award. <laughs> <laughs> and i say that i dude i love mark coleman but you know the, the man has been seen to be gassed yeah. from time to time even at the height of his career <laughs> but the thing is Vieira, he came back and he got a third round submission over a pretty good MMA grappler in Dustin Stoltzfus. That should be a sign that if it's not gone, that at least part of the problem is in the past. Yes, I need to manage my weight cut better. Yes, I had, you know, I, I had jitters. It was my, you know, my biggest fight on a huge card. You know, I just, I, I gassed myself out. It's going to take a long time for that to leave me. I'm going to have that doubt in my mind every time this man fights, probably for the rest of his career, you know, because on on pure skill, he's got what it takes to beat Terman. I mean, he's one of the greatest grapplers ever, period, full stop. One of the greatest grapplers in grappling, one of the greatest grapplers to cross over to mixed martial arts, certainly one of the greatest grapplers to cross over to mixed martial arts in earnest, not talking about just like, you know, Hoyler Gracie having a couple of one-off fights and getting blistered in Japan. I'm talking about, you know, like I'm in my late 20s and I'm coming over and I'm actually going to train MMA and try to do this thing. He He's up there. Four-time Mundial's uh, gold medalist, including one year where he won the absolute and the divisional, Abu Dhabi winner, uh, uh, seven-time World Cup winner. He's one of the greatest grapplers ever. Um and it does translate to MMA. Like he's a fantastic submission artist in mixed martial arts. And I haven't seen anything from Terman that tells me that he's going to be able to keep this out of Vieira's wheelhouse, that he's going to be able to defend the takedowns. And more importantly, that he's going to be able to punish Vieta for trying because the other half of takedown defense is making the other guy pay for trying either by wearing him out or by actually punishing him with with strikes for doing so like the whether it's the travis brown elbows or or, or whatever i haven't seen anything for Terman that tells me he's going to be able to do that so even though i go into this with the doubt in the back of my mind that if this goes out of the first round is vieta gassed because that is one problem the Terman doesn't really seem to have Terman could just win a flat decision or even really embarrass him late but if Vieta could do that to Stoltzfus, he can do the exact same thing to Terman, because I think of them as roughly the same level fighters. Give me Hadolfo Vieta by first round submission, but if he doesn't get the submission in the first round, I'm not worried either. I think he's got this fight. Yeah, so a lot, lot to break down. So you talked about how a young fighter, there's always people saying, like, give him another shot. and that, Like, whatever group that is, like, we're board members in that group, because I'm with you, man. <laughs> like, I'll, like, Sage Northcutt could be like 45 years old, and I'll still be saying, like, he didn't get a fair shot. Again, people gave up on him too early. Well, it would help um, it, that he's probably still going to look 22 when he's 45. But yeah. That's right. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm the only person who, like, people would dog on him. Like, do you ever hear an interview with Sage Northcutt? Like, how could you hate that guy? Oh, it's dude. dude on the planet. And it's, it's, it's not fake niceness. He just really is that nice. Yeah. I want him to be, I want him to be my neighbor. <laughs> like, uh, like, He'd wash your car for you. He's like, I'm washing my car. You want me to get yours? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then you mentioned, I love that you mentioned, uh, well, in term and beat Sam Alvey. Like, so all the, it was good in the world happened. Like I did, I just picture like if Sam Alvey, every time Sam Alvey wins, like an animal goes extinct. <laughs> like, like, like this, like some, there's some kind of rhino Dude. out there that's just, oh, please, Sam, don't win. <laughs> I just went extinct. I am dead. Like, you're going to have to carry on. <laughs> that's it. All right. So so back to uh, the, this this compelling uh, pay-per-view main card fight between, uh, what do you say? He's two and – what is Wellington Tournament's UFC? Two and three. Two and three versus what? What is Adolfo's two and one? Three and one. Oh, three and one. I'm sorry. So, yeah. So Adolfo – you know, you talk about his grappling, like, it's unmatched. Like, usually I start with guys striking. All right, we'll talk about his grappling. I mean, you meant, you mentioned this. He won this tournament, that tournament. And, and yeah, it's it's high as they are. I mean, it's like if if Jordan Burroughs came over or Kyle Dake or one of these guys from wrestling came over. Like, that's how elite he is in the Brazilian just your world. Um, he has – he's a very good wrestler, Though he's very strong, he's not one of these Ryan Halls pull Imanari roll. No, he's gonna explode through your hips. Man, he's more like Jacare, where he has the athleticism and the basic wrestling technique to make this run. Yeah. So last time I compared it to, and I'm gonna date myself a little bit, is Hikaru Arona. That's who he reminded me of, of where Hikaru Arona was more of I'm gonna blast right through. You. Like Hikaru Arona was out wrestling like wrestlers. Yeah. With like the last double, so that's kind of what he reminds me of. Uh, but if he takes you down, the fight can end. He's got incredible back takes. I mean, he's got everything you expect from the top top level. Just I mean, even when he the way he finished Stolfitz didn't look he's gonna get a submission until he did. Uh, but on the feet, I think he showed in his last fight he showed some improvements. Like he, we talked about that he yeah you know, he still got some holes. He still arm punches a little bit, but he was landing some. Pretty good power shots on Stolfitz. I think some of that comes with the fact that his opponent's going to be worried about their takedowns, you know, getting taken down, that they're going to almost ignore his striking. Fine. They didn't go really far with that. Uh, but if he takes you down, the fight's over. Now move over to Dermon. You mentioned 25 years old. So he can be a very different fighter than we've seen. Uh, he wasn't that aggressive against Sam Alvey, which Sam Alvey has this voodoo thing where he somehow can get everybody to fight at his snoozer pace. But what we've seen in the past, and kind of ignore that fight because of that Sam Alvey, but we've seen a very aggressive fighter that likes to throw down a you know, very boxing-heavy uh, style. Uh, he tends to throw and kind of leave himself out of position. as he, he I've said this before. He kind of scoops his arms back in instead of throwing straight like – when you throw a punch, a punch is supposed to go out. As fast as your punch goes out, it's supposed to come back just as fast. Uh, so he kind of leaves himself open to counters. But he's got some pretty good power, and he's at the age where it's only starting to you know, increase. Uh, good snap. Uh, he, he does throw power at every shot, and he does have these huge tell signs. But I do like that he mixes punches and kicks well. He throws a lot of kicks. He'll throw occasional spinning attack. And I actually think he's a pretty good grappler. I mean, you go to the Bruno Silva fight, like he was knocked out by Bruno Silva, but before Bruno Silva knocked him out, he was out grappling Bruno Silva. Um, but I am worried about uh, his chin as he was knocked out by Andrew Sanchez uh, not that long ago. Uh, Bruno Silva knocked him out. But I don't expect Vieira to knock him out, but it's just something I want to talk about him. But as far as prediction goes, I really think that 
uh, well determined is tailor made for Vieira. I he's gonna have to like if he comes out aggressive, he's gonna get taken down quickly. If he throws a lot of kicks, what he likes to do, he'll get caught and be taken down. So he really has to fight this very conservative point fighting game, kind of like he fought a little bit of the same and hope he gasses out. But we've seen Vieira make an adjustment in his last fight where he didn't gas out. Like he was. I would say he slowed down, but he was still effective. Then he got a submission in the third round. So, uh, Vera's the no. This is his fight to lose. I expect him to take down. I'm gonna say you know I'm saying he's really one of his best. I think he's gonna take down Tarman. I'm gonna say he's gonna get a submission in the very first round. There you go. Two uh, two picks for Vieira to get it done in the very first round, uh, and you know continue what could become a quiet, uh, you know, little late. Correct uh, contender run at 185. It is a wide open division as there is uh, in the UFC right now. Next up on the UFC 270 main card is a bantamweight matchup between Cody Stamen and Saeed Nurmagomedov. Uh, Stamen, the 32 year old Michigan native, is 19 4 and 1 overall. He is 5 3 and 1 in the UFC. He is uh, looking to turn things around after a or on a two fight skid, though. Uh, Two-fight skid against some pretty high-level competition in Jimmy Rivera and Marav Dwalishvili. The latter of those, the Dwalishvili fight, uh, took place at UFC on ESPN, Rays versus Prohaska uh, in May of last year. Both of those losses by unanimous decision. Uh, he has a tough test ahead of him if he wants to turn things around in the form of Nurmagomedov, the 29-year-old Dagestani. And we are told that he's no blood uh, uh, relation to the famous former UFC lightweight champ Khabib Nurmagomedov, but let's be serious. They're from a country with five million people and three last names. Like, he's probably related to him somewhere down the line. At any rate, uh, Nurmagomedov, 29-year-old uh, Dagestani, 14-2 uh, and two overall, 3-1 and one in the UFC. Uh, he won his last outing, knocking out Mark Striegel in like a minute at UFC Fight Night Ortega versus Korean Zombie. That allowed him to get back on track after his first uh, UFC loss, which was a unanimous decision against Honey Barcelos uh, back at UFC Fight Night, Edgar versus Korean Zombie, all the way in December of 2019. Uh, Nurmagomedov is a healthy favorite here. He's minus 200, where you can get Stamen at plus 170. Keith, uh... Who do you like in this one? I, and we were talking a minute off, you know, off air about how fighters like Stamen, kind of like borderline contenders or contenders, because I'm, you know, he's still in Sherdog's top ten. He's a very good fighter. They don't get a break. Like he just fought Jimmy Rivera, a top ten fighter, lost that, and got Marab Dwalishvili, who yeah. got a better on on talent and skill is probably a top five fighter, loses. To him, just 30 miserable minutes of work, and now he gets Saeed Nurmagomedov, one of the hottest prospects in that in, in that division, and another guy with kind of a broadly similar skill set to, to Marab. Like they're doing yeah. Stamen dirty. Like, let me know how you feel about that and how you feel about this fight and who wins. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's he's kind of been on a run with these guys for a long time. And, and like, how do you lose to Jimmy Rivera and then somehow they get matched with a better fighter in Marab? Like, how does that happen? And then you throw in uh, Demagomedov, who is, you know, he's kind of the forgotten guy in the division because he's been going so long. But there's a reason why he was super hyped up. One, one reason why, because of his last name. But two, because he's a skilled fighter. So 
<laughs> like they, yeah, they can't cost. They can't toss like, oh, Stephen, you're on a losing streak. Let's get you back. Let's here's, here's Chris Martino. Like you can't do something like that. Um, so, Stephen, Stephen's well rounded. He's he's got some pretty fast hands. Uh, he's he's coming a long way with his striking, which is wasn't the case before. But he's got pretty fast hands. I like that he cuts angles really well. Uh, he, where he he kind of um, sh- shows a lot of things, a lot of feints, different movements, um, busy jab. He slides in the pocket well and unloads power shots when there's an opening. He's got a sneaky high kick. He he throws a pretty good high kick for a guy who's like kind of short, stockier wrestler type, you know, wrestle boxer type. Uh, he he doesn't like fighting off his back foot though, which is surprising considering he has good lateral movement to avoid strikes. Um, he's a good wrestler. Uh, he will grind against the fence. He'll push against the fence. He'll wouldn't the clinch there. But if not, he just get in on your hips. Good entries. Good at winning scrambles. Um, good top control will kind of like uh, sit in your guard, just kind of wear out the rounds. Uh, not much of a submission threat, though. Move over to uh, Nemagomedov, well-rounded fighter. Uh, I'd say a Chris Stryker. It's funny because his last name is Nemagomedov, but he's probably more known for his striking. Pretty composed, uh, very good at sitting back, sitting back, and then exploding when there's an opening uh, land to land shots. He really whips, he commits to his shots, really whips his, his punches in there, trying to knock it out. He does make the mistake defensively to lean straight back, though, instead of cutting an angle, uh, lack of head movement. But he's got really good power. Uh, we saw that in his last fight. He, he dropped his opponent with like the first shot he landed. Um, another thing he, he has, he's really good kicks and quick. He has like a lot of dexterity in his hips, and he disguises his kicks uh, very well. Like He actually reminds me of like a young Steven Thompson, like where – like he throws a punch on one side, like he throw like a left hook, and then coming all the way on the other side is like a a high kick, like on the offbeat of the combination. So when the, his opponent thinks he's done, then all of a sudden a sneaky high kick comes around. It's really impressive. Uh, he's a good wrestler. He's good at winning scrambles, but he isn't a great wrestler. Like I just want to throw that out there. Just because his last name is Demarkovitov, he is not Habib on the ground. He's like he, he can win on the ground, and if you take him down, it's going to be very hard to hold him down. I mean, Rodney Barcelos struggled to hold him down. But uh, as far as prediction goes, I think the lines are really, really off. Um, I understand uh, this is, you know, Vegas sets the lines. Instance, when pay-per-view come, a lot more casual bettors will jump in. So I understand that sometimes, sometimes the lines might be off. They're trying to trick people into, uh, you know, with the market off being such a favorite. Like there could be a little bit of that going on in this. But I think this is a tougher fight than that, I would say because of that. I could see Stamen winning. Um, he, you know, especially if he stays inside with the striking, like I could see him winning, um, especially if Demagomedov kind of throws more looping from his hip strikes. Uh, but I also could see him, like, I could see him just grinding against the fence, maybe getting a takedown of his own, uh, very safe, just turning into a wrestling match for 15 minutes. Like, I could see that happening. However, I'm going to go, and this one, this out of every fight in the card, this is the one I've actually flip flopped the most. That's why I said the odds are so off. I'm going to go into Magomedov simply because I don't know if Stamen's going to be able to keep Magomedov down, and I can see Magomedov obviously landing some takedown of his own, and I can see their their um, wrestling really canceling each other, so leave it on the feet. And I'm just going to go with the the better uh, athlete, and I think Magomedov is a better athlete, so. I think it's going to be really close. I think it's going to be a heavy striking battle. And I think it's going to be much, much closer than people think. That's why I took Namagamadoff, and I t- I'm taking my split decision. Like that's how lack of confidence I have. 
I feel basically identically uh, about this one. I, I think the lines are a bit off. And I think a lot of this fight really is going to hinge on Stamen's approach because, you know, he's lost two in a row to, uh, you know, Jimmy Rivera and um, Rob Dolishvili. And in, I mean, in one fight, he was more the guy that wanted to keep it on the feet. And in the other fight, he was more the guy that wanted to, to take it to the ground. Uh, I think, honestly, even though, I mean, he is a wrestler who is learning to strike, if he approaches this fight just thinking, I need to get this to the ground at, at all costs, I think that's actually going to hurt him here. I like Nurmagomedov. I think he's good. I mean, he won't be bigger in terms of like muscles. Stamen is a jacked little guy, but you know, he's going to be like the taller guy and he's plenty strong himself. And he's a pretty like good takedown uh, defense. I think if Stamen sells out for the takedown, he's going to end up wearing himself out and Nurmagomedov will win this thing going away. I, I think, I think you're right. Like Stamen's best route here is going to be to engage in the striking, like, you know, use his movement, use his kicks. Uh, definitely, you know, uh, force clinches against the fence and, and grind and make Nurmagomedov wear his weight and like feel his power. But, you know, take the takedowns if they come, you know, go to them like late if need be. But uh, no, like if he just goes out there thinking, I, I really need to get the scene to the ground. I think that plays right into Nurmagomedov's uh, hands. Uh, I'm going to go with Nurmagomedov by decision as well, but I expect Stamen to, to win one of the rounds and I expect all of them to be close. You know, like, You've said before, like, if you pick a fight to go to a split decision, what you're basically saying is you're expecting the individual rounds to be hard enough to score that, like, three reasonable judges or, you know, two reasonable judges and one idiot, which is what we usually get, you know, are, are probably going to see the fight two different ways. I can totally see that happening. So uh, give me Nurmagomedov by decision as well. But it should be a pretty fun fight and a very competitive fight. Third from the top of the UFC 270 main card is a welterweight matchup between Michelle Pereira and Andre Fialio. Uh, Keith, before I even introduce the fighters, you know, we talked off the top about how outside of the top two fights on this card, it doesn't bring quite the artillery that we're used to from a UFC pay-per-view. You know, lots of debuting fighters, uh, some fighters, you know, trying to turn around losing streaks, you know, like that are on the on the main card. There's no better example than this because this fight, again, the featured fight of the night, third from the top, it is a 26 and 11 fighter who, I mean, he's a he's been a fun guy to watch, but he's not a contender. And he's fighting a debuting fighter who he's a solid prospect, but, you know, it's not like we're awaiting the debut of Brock Lesnar. It's not that kind of debut. It's, you know, hey, no, in, in Portugal, it is. They're going crazy. In, in Portugal, yeah. I mean, now that now they've they've got two, you know, <laughs> professional fighters that anyone knows the name of. There's Pedro Carvalho and Andre Fialho, and that's just two fighters that every time I introduce them, I'll have to remember that they're not Brazilian. That's, there, right. that, that, that's it. All right. Michelle Pereira, twenty-eight-year-old Brazilian, is uh twenty-six and eleven with two no contests uh in his career. And if you've ever seen him fight, it's kind of surprising he only has two no contests because again, he been a wild man uh, in the UFC. He's four and two, and he is on a three fight winning streak. Those coming over Zalim Imadaev, Kalen Chaos Williams, and most recently Nico Price, over whom he took a unanimous decision at UFC 264 back in July. Uh, he'll be welcoming to the UFC Fialio, 27 year old Portuguese, is uh, 14 and three with one no contest. Uh, he has been through Bellator, 
He's been through Professional Fighters League. Uh, he's been through UAE Warriors, which is kind of the it, similar to Brave CF in that just right place at the right time being located near where the UFC put on all of its fight Island events in 2020 uh, has really become a bit of a pipeline for sending prospects uh, to the, uh, you know, to the UFC. Uh, Pereira strong favorite here, as you would expect of him against a, you know, a, a prospect debuting he's minus 290 Fialio plus 230. Uh, I'll say I, I have some recent experience, you know, kind of, catching Fialio on my radar because I had not thought about him in a long minute. I mean, you know, he's again, a guy that not to pretty it up. He, he washed out of Bellator. You know, he washed out of Bellator on a bad knockout loss to Chidi Njokwani, who is someone that I was surprised to see make it to the UFC himself uh, late last year. And he washed out of PFL too. Yeah. Washed out of PFL as, as well. Like I, you know, uh, but I saw him, at uh, XMMA, like the resurrected XMMA back uh, last January. In fact, almost exactly a year ago, uh, he took on James Vick. And XMMA, it was a promotion from Canada, like in the early 2010s, disappeared and then came back in Florida of all places and put on a show. And it, it was so full of kind of known names and kind of UFC and Bellator veterans that Sherdog, you know, we decided to cover it. Uh, I wrote the recap for it. And the main event was, James Vick in his first fight after being released by the UFC against Fialio. And Fialio was on a three-fight winless streak. Kind of a setup for Vick to get a highlight reel win and maybe get back on the radar uh, of the UFC or, or use it as a springboard to something else. And instead, Fialio put one of the ugliest beatings I can remember in recent memory on this man. The real problem with, with it was it was a fun back-and-forth striking battle for, you know, two and a half rounds, but then Fialio caught Vic with a big overhand, knocked out his mouthpiece and kind of dazed him, but then proceeded to hit him like literally 20 or 25 times in the face with his mouthpiece out. Finally, a standing TKO was called. And even though like normally I'm kind of iffy on standing TKOs, as soon as the ref stopped it, Vic just lied down and his face is all full of blood. I have no idea what his dental bill was after that thing, but I'm sure it was more than XMMA was paying him ugly stuff. And the nice thing about Fialio is he's fought three more times since then. He fought four times in 2021, all of them uh, knockouts or TKOs. And the Vic fight was the only one that made it out of the first round. So yes, he's a washout, but he's also still just 27 and he may just be coming into his own right now. I mean, he's fighting a guy in Michelle Pereira that's 32 and he's like, you know, 20 and 10 basically because he just lost a lot of fights early in his career because he was wild and he used like capoeira, you know, spinning kicks like normal fighters use a jab. And yeah, he's he, he may just he be coming like, into he does like Sonic the Hedgehog attacks and, and Super <laughs> Smash Brothers. No, he, he absolutely he, he is a Sonic the <laughs> I Hedgehog. I'm not a video type. game guy, but my son whose birthday was this past week, he got Switch and we got him Super Smash Brothers. And we were playing, all of us were playing, and I got Sonic the Hedgehog, and I hit a button, he does his flip thing and hits him. I said, oh, that's Michelle Pereira. Boom, there you go. That's, and, yeah, that's pretty much him. At least that was his reputation when he came to the UFC, because if you, you know, you looked at his highlight reel before he came to the, the UFC, yeah, it's, I mean, he has multiple Showtime kicks. You know, he literally will do the, you know, capoeira, like, handstand, like, uh, helicopter kick. And so he had one of the most insane highlight reels ever coming to the UFC 
he lost two in a row after acing Danny Roberts with a, a flying knee, but then he lost two in a row to Tristan Connolly. So that was Michelle Pereira, a big welterweight, just getting gassed out and ground out by Tristan Connolly, who really should be a featherweight. That was embarrassing. Then, you know, lost to Diego Sanchez in a fight. He was absolutely tuning him up just by landing an illegal knee, like with in the second half of the third round. So basically he cost himself two fights in a row, one by just being a wild man, instead of just taking the easy win over an easy opponent relative to his skill level. And then by being a wild man and just throwing a completely unneeded, like egregious foul on a fighter that he was superior to in every way. Since then, he's been a little different. I mean, he's still, you know, break dances on his way to the octagon and break dances during introductions. And But he's gotten to a little bit more of a controlled style. Now he's just, he's a flashy kickboxer instead of, you know, somebody who's, who's from a video game or an action movie. And because of that, he's strung together three wins against good fighters. Zlim Ibadayev is a good fighter. And not only did he beat him, he beat him by outlasting him and choking him out in the third round. It, like that win alone, like checks off a lot of the question mark boxes about Michelle Pereira. Then against chaos Williams, where the only thing we were all sure of was that this is going to be crazy because it's two crazy knockout artists. And it wasn't crazy at all. He just won a straightforward kickboxing match. You know, he, he was a kickboxer beating a boxer and against Nico Price, again, another one where it's like the UFC is almost like smashing him together with people like Demolition Derby. Like, oh, if we throw him in with Chaos Williams, it'll be crazy. If we throw him in with Nico Price, who, I mean, Nico Price has found more exotic ways to lose fights than anyone else I can think of in the UFC. And I say that as, as a compliment. He, he's really, really dope. But no, it was just, he won a pretty straightforward, entertaining striking battle. If that's the Michelle Pereira we get going forward, this guy has contender potential. I mean, well, he he definitely has contender potential because he's on the cusp of the top ten right now. Like Nico Price is a win that get that gets you on onto the radar of, of the top ten. If he wins this fight, he's on a four fight win streak, and even at welterweight, that does get you attention. And yeah, I would never have guessed that this guy would be looking at you know looking like a real contender in the UFC. Uh, I've. I figured when he debuted, this is going to be fun for as long as it lasts. I hope he wins long enough to stick around for a while. And that's what we're getting that. And then some really weird success story. And again, the guy's still just 28. Like, don't let the, don't let that treacherous hairline fool you. He's a 28 year old fighter uh, who has a ton of experience. I think Andre Fialio is a guy that has UFC potential like he's another one who's just really coming into his own at the right time but this is the wrong opponent like the new smart somewhat controlled Michelle Pereira is is a tough ask for someone in Fialio who is also more of a boxer than a kickboxer so far as I've observed like he can throw kicks but when he really gets into a flow state or when he's being pressed and just goes to muscle memory he definitely is is a puncher uh I expect Pereira to just to just win a, a decision here uh, not overextend himself and just he's going to be faster. He's going to be bigger and he's going to have more tools at his disposal. If he's winning really big by the third round, maybe he does start to uncork some some crazy stuff and we get either a knockout or a disqualification. But uh, I'm not picking that. I'm going with Michelle Pereira by, uh, you know, by unanimous decision. And outside of the top two fights on the card, there's nothing that really jumps out as a fight of the, the night uh, candidate to me. But if anything other than one of the two title fights wins fight of the night, this is probably it.
Yeah. So I'll say this. So I agree with everything you said about, you know, Michelle Bahia's skills. He's better off if he doesn't do the flashy stuff. He's a very good fighter if he doesn't. He's, to his credit, he hasn't done that for three fights. That said, like, we got a whole roster full of guys who are good kickboxers. Like, give me the guy doing Cirque du Soleil moves. Like, what the hell? Like, does it benefit Michelle Bahia? No. <laughs> does, does it entertain me? Yeah, it does. So, uh, yeah, let me let, let him do some Sonic the Hedgehog moves out there. Um, he, he's a massive middleweight. That's the thing that stands out. He looks like he's freaking heavyweight. He looks like like Alistair Overeem is, like, Brazilian cousin. Like, he's he's huge. Uh, long arms, long legs, crazy athleticism, uh, good movement. He's so fluid. He's so explosive. Uh, you talked about his fight against Imadayev. Like he, he won an outside kickboxing matchup against him. Did the same thing against Chaos Williams. You show wrestling against Chaos Williams. Uh, on the feet, he stalks his prey. He does feints well to set up his power shots. Attacks the body with punches and kicks. Good kicks. Uh, he likes the oblique kicks, the teep kicks. Um, mix it up combinations with his punches and kicks. His step in knees are really, really uh, nasty. When he throws like flying knees, it, it, that's like the one thing he does ex- that's like exciting, that's unorthodox, that actually really works for him offensively because he uses it both offensively but also defensively. You're attacking him, like jump in the air and throw a knee, which mm-hmm. makes you not want to shoot him for takedown next time. Uh, but he has uh, really good power. He showed a really underrated wrestling game. I mean, he, he picked up a slam Diego Sanchez, who at, at that point in Diego Sanchez's career, all he had was grappling left. He suplexed Imadayoff. He took Chaos Williams down a bunch of times. Um, so, yeah, he's a really good fighter moving forward. Now, move over to uh, Fialo. Uh, as you mentioned, he is a bust in, in Bellator and in, in PFL, but he is 27. So, it, we're not going to give up on him because we're we're board members and they don't give up yet. Uh, he's a technically sound boxer who's a, a bit of a counter striker that can fight well from both stances. He's got tight uh, inside tight shots. His left hook and a straight right are two really good shots that he has power in. You mentioned four knockouts in a row. You mentioned James. He knocked out James Vick. He also knocked out uh, Stefan Sekulik, who who fought recently in UFC. Uh, he he doesn't slide away from much as he more pillars, which I don't like. But he can wrestle too. Like he doesn't wrestle enough, but when he does, he's got good takedown defense. He's got decent uh, offensive takedowns. He if you put him on his back, he does struggle to get up. So that's like one of his weaknesses. But uh, and another weakness is his chin. He has been knocked out three times. Um, um but um. <laughs> I just—I was trying to read this note. I didn't know what I was writing. He, luckily, he doesn't throw this. He used to do this dumbing spinning wheel kick when he was in Bellator that never landed on anybody. But he would throw it in every fight. Um, the other thing I, I, I am concerned about him is his, is his gas tank. I'm going all the way back to like a fight he had in Bellator where he was beating the crap out of AJ Matthews and then almost gassed out, and AJ Matthews almost beat him. Uh, but other than that. I am taking Pajaya. He is the much better athlete. He has the higher ceiling. He has shown that there is something special in him. However, this is a sneaky fight. Velo, um, he's got really good power. He's 
he's technically sound boxer. He he showed that you know he can start a guy if if Pereira plays any games, which I don't think he will. I think he's past those things. Uh, or if Pereira wastes his energy, which that could very well be the case, trying to wrestle, just trying to be make an explosive move. Not not talking about the flying stuff, just trying to get a knockout. We've seen a lot of guys doing that. If if he can't put Felo out, I, I can see Felo catching him and knocking him out. But that said, I'm going to take the guy with a much higher ceiling who's showed me that he's had moments of being special. Well, Philo is – I think he actually is a pretty good addition to the UFC, but there's still like a cap to him, a ceiling to him. And I don't think that's – I don't think we've seen that with Pierre yet. So give me Pierre. I'm going to say he uh, he wins by decision. That brings us to the co-main event of UFC 270. It is a matchup for the UFC men's flyweight title between reigning champ Brandon Moreno and the former champ, Davidson Figueredo. Moreno, the 28-year-old Mexican, is 19-5-2 overall. He's 8-2-2 in the UFC, fought most recently uh, last June, where he choked out uh, Figueredo in the third round to uh, capture the belt. He will be taking on uh, Figueredo, the 34-year-old Brazilian, is 22-1 overall. He's 9-2-1 in the UFC. Uh, he, of course, is coming off the loss to Moreno in his last outing. And previous to that, the two had uh, fought to a draw in their first meeting, which was at UFC 256 in December of 2020. That was a majority draw. <clears throat> Prior to that, he had been on a five-fight win streak, which had carried him you know, to the pinnacle of the division and given him the chance to fight for the title in the post-Cejudo era. Uh, odds on this one, fairly close. Moreno is the favorite. Uh, he's minus 180, Figueredo plus 155 as of the middle of fight week. Uh, Keith, you know, and, you know, many of our viewers might know that I write a pre-fight column uh, every week for SureDog that drops on Tuesdays called Stand and Deliver. And I feature two or three fighters on the card who are under a little extra pressure to win for whatever reason. Like the tagline for it is every fight matters, but some matter just a little bit more. And usually in highlighting those fighters, I steer clear of main events and I definitely steer clear of title fights just because the stakes are so obvious. Everybody there wants to win a title and then they want to defend it. So th there's usually no reason to even talk about that. Uh, you know, I'm talking about people like Trevin Giles, who's moving down in weight because nobody, you know, for no apparent reason, or, you know, Ilya Tapuria, who all of a sudden, you know, has everything switched up on him, but he's the guy facing the higher expectations. I did feature this fight because Davison Figueredo is under a lot more pressure than Brandon Moreno. And here's why. Even though it's Moreno's belt that's up on, up on the chopping block, Figueredo is the one with more at risk here. This is why. If Figueredo wins, these guys are 1-1-1. One, one, and one. And most people who watch the first fight think Figueredo probably should have won it. But even officially on paper, they are 1-1-1. One, one, and one. The immediate, well, the result is going to be we're going to have the first uh, quadrilogy in UFC history. They'll fight for a fourth time and they'll probably fight immediately for a fourth time. So, you know, even if Moreno loses, he's probably fighting for the flyweight title in his next fight anyway. Also, Moreno is six years younger than Figueredo. So, regardless of what happens on Saturday, Moreno's probably not done fighting for UFC flyweight titles. He can just age Figueredo out, even if he loses bad. Figueredo, if he loses, the series stands at 0-2-1. And all of a sudden, he has a very hard road back to the flyweight title. What he At that point, if Figueredo loses on Saturday, he has two choices. He can either stick around as an ultra, ultra high-level gatekeeper, like basically a Benavidez type, like I'm the number two guy and I'm keeping the gate, and hope that either Moreno loses or something happens that necessitates an interim title, 
which he could use to then like force a rematch with Moreno, or he can move up to 135 and try his luck there. Like that's a lot to have hinging on this fight when you're not even the champ. But Figueroa under a lot of pressure on Saturday. That you know this is kind of a do or die moment for his flyweight legacy, in a way that it is not for Moreno. Uh, the, I say all that to just kind of set the table, but if you've watched you know their first three fights. The first fight, even if you thought Figueroa won, and you know I, I'm you and I both think Figueroa should have won a majority decision instead of going to a majority draw, it was a super close fight. It was a great fight. It's one of the greatest title fights in UFC history. So putting that aside, all that told us is these guys are really closely matched. The next two fights, you know, I mean, there's that fight, or you know, there's uh, their second fight, you know, where Moreno just basically ran through Figueroa. It wasn't even that, like, he outlasted Figueredo and wore him down and gassed him out like we always figured might be an Achilles heel. No, he just beat him right away. So you got to decide which of those two fights is true. Is it the first fight where, you know, uh, even with both of them coming in on short notice, because they both had fought three weeks before that fight, if you recall, like, uh, where you would figure Figueredo's gas tank would be the biggest liability it could possibly be. Yeah. He, you know, he ended up uh, beating Moreno across a five round fight showing that, yeah, he's probably a superior fighter just slightly. Is that true? Or is the other one true where they both came in on full camps and Moreno like ran through him. He outstruck him, out grappled him, choked him out, you know, uh, you know, like complete superiority. The line seems to imply that most of the betters, because of course, you know, the books are just placing the line to try to get action on both sides. Like they're not saying who they think is the better fighter. They're saying who we think is the better fighter. Uh, they're saying that, that we think, you know, Moreno is the, the truth and the second fight is closer to the truth. I'm not sure that that's the case. I still think a lot of this hinges on Figueredo's preparation, his training, his weight cut. When he shows up, you know, in Vegas, or in this case, in Anaheim, when he shows up in Anaheim on, you know, Saturday or whatever, what does he weigh right then? And how does he feel? Uh, even though, uh, you know, the loss to, to Moreno, you know, he made weight. He, you know, it didn't get into rounds where he would really gas out like Moreno was beating him right from the beginning. I still just get the sneaking suspicion that it played into it. I think he had a really bad weight cut. He looked like death, even by his own normal standards. And he always looks like death. Well, here he looked like like, like double death. And I don't think he, he felt well physically. I think he might have fought too conservatively and too deliberately for fear of his gas tank because he didn't want to get dragged into deep waters. And he just ended up losing the first round, too. He looks different now. Uh, I mean, he made all the right noises about... I'm going to go back and rethink my nutrition, rethink my preparation. But by the eyeball test, I think he might be telling the truth. And if the story is true that he showed up in uh, L.A. only needing to lose about 10 pounds, like he showed up weighing around 134, 135. I still think if we get the best version of Davis and Figueredo, the best version of Davis and Figueredo is better than Brandon uh, Moreno. Uh, Moreno, like he's a great fighter. And I am glad to have him around. Obviously, like he's an extremely lovable character. I have the feeling the UFC would like love him to do well. 
but he's not a bulletproof fighter. Like, you know, he's 17 and five for a reason. Like he's not, he's not an unbeatable guy. Uh, And even in his wins, he's had to go through a lot of adversity. Like a lot of people have been able to kind of like get their game running on Brandon Moreno. And he, he ends up just winning just because, you know, he's, he's better. He has, you know, he has more offense. He has more heart. He has better cardio, whatever the case may be. I'm expecting that we're going to get the best possible Brandon Moreno and the best possible Davis and Figueredo in the cage this Saturday. And if that's what we get, I'm going with Figueredo. So it, it is a bit of an upset, but give me Davis and Figueredo. And I'm going to say we get Figueredo by second round TKO and setting up again, you know, the, the first four Pete in, uh, in UFC history, but uh, give me an, and new and uh, you know, Figueredo crying, red streak in his hair, his brother probably running in there. And, uh, you know, Dana White looking just a little bit sour, uh, you know, strapping that belt back around his waist. But at least he gets one more of these fights. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Before I give my prediction, would you have done the third fight right away? Pro- I, I actually probably would. And and you know me. We do all the recaps. We You know, we've done been doing these shows for two years. I normally hate immediate title rematches unless there was some controversy like a bad decision a freakish Mm -hmm. one in a million injury a foul something like that but this is one of the few cases where i'll make an exception one because nobody else has really stepped up to become a screamingly obvious next contender so it's not like there's a justin gates he's just like circling the airport uh you know like a hijacked plane uh and also because, you know, there is a little bit of controversy to it because, you know, the first fight was a draw and probably should have been a decision win for Figueredo. And if it had been, they'd absolutely have done the, the trilogy next. So I, I'm I'm actually okay with it. Yeah, I would have I would have went with like a Pantoja or an Askarov. I actually probably would want Askarov for being a purist for a second, being that he has a win over a Pantoja. And, yeah. But yeah, um, that's probably why I, for such a great, matchup i'm not as excited as a lot of the other people are because of, because i've seen it twice and obviously the and i was so excited for the second rematch the first fight was incredible the second fight was an incredible performance by brendan moreno um but yeah i i'm sure after i break this down and I listen to your breakdown kind of got, got me a little lot more excited than i was heading into this uh is is there's a lot of things that you're saying that i i get what you're saying and i i agree with you so um I'll start with the champion. So well, I'll say this. You said that Dana White would put their belt on uh, Figueredo, like not too excited about it. I, I get that. Like the UFC is rooting for Brandon Moreno. They have the Mexico yeah. thing. They have can, the can I throw one, th- one thing yeah. out? Like both of these title fights, there's a, a likable fighter in, in the fight yeah. who's a little scary and intense, but it's not like Davidson Figueredo or Francis Gano is a bad dude. Yeah. And then there's one like, like lovable and charismatic fighter. That's right. Yeah. You know, Brandon Moreno is like, I don't know who doesn't like him. His like the TikTok videos of him saying like, not today, not tomorrow, but one day I'm going to be the champion. Like that's just a really feel good, nice thing. Uh, yeah. Obviously him speaking English helps. Uh, Mexico is, they've been looking for a true Mexico star. Like he has everything. So Skill-wise, Brandon Moreno is a really well-rounded fighter. He looked amazing in his last fight. Uh, was that him looking amazing, or was it – I agree with you. I think it might be a little bit of both. Like, Figueroa looked very flat, yep. which obviously happens. Like, he seemed like he couldn't get out of, like, first gear. 
Now, Moreno's he's, he's a great boxer. He has some beautiful boxing defense. So, but he has a bob and weave style. He has a little bit of this Bernard Hopkins shoulder rolls, very fast hands. Uh, he destroyed Kai Kara France with a jab. He beat up Figueredo with a jab. Uh, really sits on his punches, good kicks, especially his high kick. I said it last time he has that Robert Whitaker dip to one side, slip it on the other side, uh, high kick, mixes punches and takedowns well. Uh, he is a little open to leg kicks, but which is which is something I'm worried about. But his wrestling has been the thing that the last two fights that have really, really impressed me by the thing. Uh, he's out-wrestled Figueroa, which is a feat in itself. Uh, he's good at winning scrambles. He's hard to submit He's hard to hold down. He he similar to um, oh my god, I can't remember who was in the first. Uh, oh um, the the who's a debuting Australian. The, the I said they did the Grammy rolls. Oh, on on this card. Yeah, Della Maddalena. Oh, Maddalena. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Maddalena. Uh, do the uh, grab your rolls and stuff. That's something that Brandon Marino does well. He's got really slick back takes, as we saw, and obviously he has submission skills as he as he choked out Figueroa in the last fight. Now, Figueroa, one of the best fighters at fighting in both stances because he has power in both stances. He's a really good counter-striker, good head movement, slip-and-rip style where he stands in the pocket and lands the better shots. He does well to draw out attacks by feinting. One of the best pure strikers while backing up because he has power in both hands uh, for the orthodox stance. His right hand is like this money shot. He has this Volkan. We've talked about Volkanovski doing this in the past where they kind of just hold their ground and beach to the punch. Uh, Vanilla Silva had a similar style where just, I'm going to stand there here and I'm going to time you coming in. He throws some weird angles. So they're really hard to see what's coming at you. Um, he's one of the, and we've told him before, like some of his knockouts come while he's actually getting hit. He like gets grazed with a shot, but he has the ability to land the better shot and winning that like exchange. Uh, he will throw elbows if you get it in close range, which is really impressive. Um, some things I don't like about him, he does keep his chin low high. He does drop his hands. He can be hit. He doesn't check leg kicks. So those are some things I'm worried about. And then suddenly he's getting out-wrestled by Brandon Moreno, which was not the case up to this point in his career. Like, People struggled. He was an anti-wrestler. Um, he's very strong in the clinch. Uh, he's very physically imposing. This is a thing of, of, of advantage. I think it's a place that he should try to get Brandon Moreno at times. Uh, he is. I was still. I'm still going to believe that he's a good wrestler. That he's got nice reactionary double. He did take down Brandon Moreno in, in the. Um, but the fact that Brandon Moreno took him down four times in the first fight and two times in the last fight is is obviously troublesome. Um, he used to be really exposed to get back up, and in like the second fight, he really struggled to get up. Uh, he is a submission threat. We saw that against Tamelia. We saw that against Alex Perez. And I agree with everything you're saying about the weight cut. How is that affecting him? Uh, does it drain his gas tank? The one thing I'll say about this: the last time we saw him fight five rounds, he did. He was fighting hard in the fifth round. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's what we're getting. But that's a that's a big thing with this fight is I feel like we know what we're getting from Brandon Moreno. Like we know we're getting a top flyweight, one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. I think we're assuming we're getting something off Figueroa. We're assuming 
we get in the first fight. And if we do get the first fight fighter, but we are we're in for a absolute phenomenal fight, a fight of the year candidate. And and that's what I'm really hoping we get. Now, what I think Figueredo should do in this fight in is I think he needs to go back to be a little bit of a maniac because I think it, I would rather see him guessing out in the third, fourth, and fifth round and losing than sitting back and being conservative. I think, I mean, I always mention this when I talk about uh, figure out, go back to his Pantoja fight where he like sprinted across the cage just to throw one punch at Pantoja. Like, he needs a little bit of that because, yeah, Brendan Moreno is quicker, he, he's probably more technically sound. But he doesn't have the physicality that Figueredo has. He doesn't have that intimidation factor that Figueredo has. I don't know what flyweight ever has. The no. pure violence that Figueredo has. The one-shot power? The yeah, all that. That's what I think he needs to do. He needs to turn this into a dogfight. He needs to come out right away and say, I'm coming to win. I'm trying to knock you out. I'm, coming to, I'm swinging right out the gate. I'm going to turn this into a brawl but the best man winning. Like, that's what he needs to have. Now, Moreno, I said after the first fight, when we were breaking down the second fight, I said that Moreno had the best fight of his career and still lost the decision against, I mean, in my opinion, should have lost the decision against Figueredo. I had a 48-46 for Figueredo. But, so I said he did everything right in the first round, first fight, and still should have lost. Well, boy, was that a stupid statement when I said that was his best fight because his second fight was his best fight. He was faster. He had good variety on his tacks. Uh, he won the wrestling match a second time. Um, so, ultimately, I don't know if Figueredo should be fighting at 125 anymore. Like We don't know that. Uh, well, Marino looks like he's just really coming into his own. I think he beats Figueredo to the punch. I think he gets the takedowns. And... Yeah, I'm really hope. I'm actually hoping you're right. Like I'm uh, not not hoping that Figueroa lose uh, wins, but I'm hoping that we get this all time classic. I, I'm hoping we get the first fight, not the second fight. But uh, I'm basing this strictly off what I last seen, and I just at this point, it, I just Moreno looked like a different man, and Moreno Moreno could not be his best and still win. I don't know if that's the case with Figueroa anymore, which before I was saying the opposite. That's so, a really good point. Yeah, so I'm flip-flopping. On, like, I'm flip-flopping my opinion from the from the second fight. And uh, I'm going to say Moreno takes now. I'm going to say he could get a submission again. I'm going to say Moreno gets a submission in the fourth round. So for we, in 2022, we picked 21 straight fights the same, but we finally disagreed on fight. Yeah, I was about to say 12 fights into the 13 fight UFC 270, we finally differ. But no, like when you count it all, it's, yeah, uh, 21 in a row. Wow, 21 in a row. Most of them by the same or similar methods of victory. We finally have something to argue about. Mostly, I just can't wait for this fight to come out the gate and figure out uh, who was right, who was wrong. Because uh, it's going to be suspenseful. And if it plays out like we think, it's going to be a good one. And I said I wasn't that excited. Now I'm super excited. <laughs> <laughs> With that, we come to the main event of UFC 270. It is a five-round heavyweight title unification bout between uh, champ Francis Ngannou and interim champion Surreal Gan. 
Nganu, the 35-year-old uh, Cameroonian by way of France, is 16-3 and overall. He is 11-2 and in the UFC. He is on a five-fight winning streak, and it's about as impressive a run as you will ever see in this division as uh, that win streak, starting back in November of 2018, so just about exactly three years. A repeat of his earlier win over Curtis Blades, only this time making it look even easier. Uh, 45 second, just pummeling. Then a 30 second pummeling of Cain Velasquez, who at the time might have been the most accomplished heavyweight of all time. Uh, then a minute and 15 second starching of former champ Junior Dos Santos. A 20 second knockout of Jairzinho Rosenstrike. And uh, most recently, last March at UFC 260, a second round knockout of Stipe Miocic, which uh, got him revenge for a previous loss, uh, stamped him as the best heavyweight in the sports, and that brings him uh, to this Saturday in Anaheim. He will be taking on Gunn, a fellow Frenchman, 31 years old, a perfect 10-0 in a mixed martial arts career that still just started like three and a half years ago, which I'm sure that will come to be mentioned. But 10-0 overall, a perfect 7-0 since joining the UFC. Uh, he fought most recently in August, knocking out Derek Lewis in Lewis's hometown after uh, trolling uh, Lewis's hometown crowd with his walkout music. Pretty much a flawless performance. It was a third round uh, TKO. That fight was for the interim heavyweight belt, uh, specifically because... Uh, Nganu was unable to meet Lewis there for the undisputed title on that date. So UFC got impatient, got antsy, uh, and made the interim title. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's worth mentioning now as much as, you know, as well as any other time. That was kind of one of the more recent and bigger nails in the coffin of Nganu's relationship with his promotion. He's had a prickly relationship with him for uh, at least two years, but I mean, he was fresh off of winning the title from Miocic. The UFC wanted him to fight uh, Lewis, you know, rematching their fight for the belt in Lewis's uh, hometown. Nganu was at the time in Cameroon doing humanitarian work and said, I can't be ready by then. Like, I'm not in the States. I'm not in camp. And <clears throat> I mean, I wrote op-eds about it at the time. I won't revisit it in depth here, but think of how insulting that is, that he could not defend his newly won title in his opponent's hometown on the UFC schedule. And all he was asking for was like another four to six weeks. He was like, I can be ready to fight by mid-September. And the UFC basically uh, flipped him the bird by making an interim title fight on the night that they wanted him to fight in, in Houston. Uh, you know, that's kind of brought us to where we are now, where Nganu has said he wants to try his hand at boxing. And he's also said that win or lose on Saturday night, he is done with the UFC. If he wins, he will wait out his one-year champion's clause and go fight elsewhere. If he loses, he might go fight elsewhere immediately. Whether you believe that's, to be like his actual intent or that's just, you know, anger and emotion speaking, or you just uh -huh. think it's a negotiation tactic, uh, regardless of how you think of that specific statement, that's just the most recent 
point on a lengthy timeline of problems between uh, the UFC and what honestly should be about the easiest champ to market, the uh, one of the easiest champs to market that they've ever had. Uh, you know, Francis Ngannou, he is, he is what the UFC wants us to think heavyweights are. I mean, he is one of the hardest hitting fighters in the history of the sport. Yeah, every heavyweight has power, but Ngannou has special power, even by the standards of heavyweight, even by the standards of other heavyweight knockout artists. And you see it, we've seen it over and over again. With one or two exceptions, his fights are unfailingly exciting. Like, obviously, the Lewis fight was a snoozer, but, you know, we still think about that because it was such an outlier for both men. Uh, he speak not, not only does he speak English just fine, but he's kind of a charming and funny guy. Uh, he is a yeah. He is a good citizen. He is he's not a John Jones. Like, you know, again, he's a, a guy who is building like gyms in Cameroon to like help kids get into combat sports. He has a heartrending story of just yeah. being just literally homeless and hungry. Like, oh, sorry. How? Like, it, it's I, again. I I don't want to get too far. You know, off, you know, the, the beaten path on this, but it's interesting how quietly this has been marketed for, I mean, this should be the biggest fight of the year in the literal and figurative sense. This should be the biggest fight of the year. And it's been a pretty quiet build towards it. Like the UFC even barely talked about it on the UFC Vegas 46 broadcast a week ago. Like you, you wouldn't think that the undisputed heavyweight title was up for adjudication, you know, seven days later. But nonetheless, it, it is. Here they are. And in Gan, there's certainly another fighter who is who is marketable and will be marketable in, in his own way if he wins or he, even if he loses. You know, he's likely to be around for a good time to come. Uh, but it's all going to sort out and there will be it'll be an interesting recap. It'll be one of those recaps where Keith and I are talking to you and taking your questions and we're probably taking like hot updates from the post fight presser as we go along you know, as people say what they need to say. Uh, odds on this one, uh, Gan is a slight favorite. He is minus 155, and Ganu plus 135, uh, you know, in this uh, title unification bout. <clears throat> a lot has been made of the fact that these two are former, uh, you know, teammates and one-time training partners at the MMA factory in Paris. Since then, Ganu has moved on. Gone has stayed there and is now their their star pupil. Uh, there's tape of them sparring. They clearly, you know, they, they have some history together. Anytime you get two fighters meeting as opponents who used to be sparring partners, I mean, whether it was for a month or whether it was for five years, both fighters tend to know and be honest with themselves about who got the best of it, no matter what they say. Like, <laughs> well, I, I think... Chuck and Tito, uh, Jones and Rashad. Yeah. You know, here, you get the feeling that Masvidal Gon Colby. got the... Sorry, Andrew. Yes. Masvidal no. Colby's another one. Ma Masvidal Colby. And here, you can kind of tell from how everybody talks about it that Gon got the better of their, their, uh, their sparring. And it, honestly, I mean, I wasn't there. I know there's tape, but I, I personally, I haven't even watched it. You know, I've watched plenty of film for this fight. The, the one piece of film I have not watched is the film that exists of them actually fighting each other. How, how, how dumb is that? But 
I get the feeling that not only did he get the better of it, but yeah, kinda, you're not missing kinda, much. Yeah, kind of outclassed. You're not missing much. It's sparring. It's leg yeah. sparring. It's not. You're not missing yeah. much. But you can tell that that's the dynamic because Nganu feels called upon to talk about it. Like saying, well, th that tape is edited. It's doctored. It was a long time ago. It's like, dude, you didn't need to say anything about it. You're the champ. But the fact that the, he feels he needs to, you know, the dynamic is there. They both know how it went. And it, in at least one case, it got under his skin a little bit. I know, like, I, I feel about this, like, I, you, you've already said on this broadcast, and we'll probably come up again when you break down this fight. In order to beat Francis Ngannou, you have to be virtually perfect, because he he has one shot power of a kind that only a small handful of fighters in the history of the sport in any weight class can can match. In fact, he's he's going to get to the point probably where he's just hands down. We consider him hands down like the the hardest puncher in in the history of the sport. I, I have the feeling we're getting there. Like, but if there is somebody who can fight a close to perfect fight against him in the heavyweight division, it might be surreal gone. And that's weird to say about someone who has 10 professional MMA fights. And once again, yes, he used to kickbox, but he's only been a professional MMA fighter for under four years. It's weird to say that about gone, but he came into this and even from his early fights in like Canada, to his like first couple of UFC fights, there is a poise and a calm and an intelligence uh, about him that just really belies his age and his level of experience. And as he's gotten further into his career and gotten up to higher level competition, it's not like he's always just running them over. Like, you know, he did like, you know, uh, Rafael Pessoa, a good example. You know, he's facing more skilled guys, but Still, like he's so calm and he's so confident in his game plans that he he's a snake charmer. Like Jairzinho Rosenstrike just couldn't pull the trigger. Alexander Volkov couldn't pull the trigger. Volkov is one of the most uh, experienced heavyweights we've ever seen in terms of like high level experience and just looked like he, he looked like blinded by the lights. Uh, he he did run over Derek Lewis. He won every every second of that fight. Like nothing of the stuff Derek Lewis usually brings to the table as a threat was any threat at all. I, you know, I'm going to leave the X's and O's to you, Keith, but I'm actually with the line here. And normally when someone is the defending champ or, you know, the, the lineal champ and they're the underdog, I, you know, I give that a long, hard look. But Ghana is, is the guy to win this fight against Ngano. I, th I don't think this is going to be as exciting a fight as we, we might expect. I think it'll be tense. Like, nobody's going to want to change their channel. Nobody's going to get bored. But it's not going to be fireworks. If it's fireworks, then it's it's Nganu's fight going on. And my whole pick here is wrong. But I think this is going to be very measured. I think Nganu's going to look nervous. I think he's going to be tentative. I think Gon's going to start kicking his legs early and often. And Gon's going to have his hand raised at the end of the night. And then the, uh, then the surreal Gon era begins. I... I mean, more of this on, on the recap if I turn out to be right, but we might have heavyweight George St. Pierre here where the individual fights are not always riveting viewing, but there's also such an airtight feel to his performances that you start just picking out individual moments that some guy had him in trouble in a fight while he defends the belt six, seven times in a row. Um, you know, I could see Surreal Gan winning the title here and then going on to, you know, 
set a new UFC record for consecutive defenses because rare among heavyweights, he has a style that's actually built to win rounds, win fights, and neutralize what his opponent does. So, yeah, you're, you, we might have the George St. Pierre here where any marketability is just going to have to come from, like, how personable, well-spoken he is, what a nice figure he cuts in a suit at the post-fight presser, rather than just consistent fireworks uh, in, inside the octagon. But give me Surreal Gone by unanimous decision. Yeah, man. So it's funny that we you you broke down a lot. You you, I love how you went full circle, like talking about where it started the beef with the UFC, and that's been as just bigger a story than the actual the fight of this and, and the whole sparring thing. I I did watch the sparring thing. It's like a minute long, and it's in it, it, you know they're not lightly sparring. They're hitting each other pretty good, but they're still pulling back fifty percent. Like President Gano is not dropping hammers where he's trying to knock out Alistair over him. So, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, Gon's sparring. He has this, like, big, like, uh, pad on his arm. It's just, you know, it's it's sparring. Uh, so it, it's funny that – it's funny that you would de- defend Francis Ngano against the UFC. Like, I'm I'm actually, like, really, really surprised you do something like that. You would you take his side because, I mean – God forbid he try being like a good person and and try helping out people in need. I mean, God forbid he try doing that. Um, <laughs> like, don't you want your champion to be an asshole? <laughs> I mean, that's not, no, yeah. no. Obviously, like, I, like, there's a difference between the baddest man on the planet and the worst man on the planet. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so obviously, I'm joking. Um, I don't know the whole story with the UFC. Uh, obviously, we get one sided and this and that, but um. I'll say this. If I'm the UFC, I'm trying to work out. Like I'm trying to make him happy because if he wins, that's a great thing for the UFC. Because he we talked about this and I, and I know the comparison is it's not perfect. So you know, work with me, but he's your Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, absolutely. I'm not talking about outside. No, you know, I'm talking about skills yeah. in the yeah. in baddest the man, not worst man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Mike Tyson, and in my lifetime, there's never been a boxer that has been more marketable. Not Floyd Mayweather, not Canelo Alvarez, not nobody. I mean, the fact that the guy really had his heyday 30-something years, 30 years ago when it stopped, and people still talk, people still buying pay-per-views. He fought Roy Jones like a year ago, you know, at 50-something, and people were excited about it. That's what you can have with Francis Ngannou, with a more – I mean, he, he doesn't have the Mike Tyson – Streets of New York, mean psychopath. That there was there was that part that sold it, but you could sell a big dude from the worst parts of the world who knocks dudes out. Mm-hmm. Um, while surreal gone is more that you know Klitschko, Lennox Lewis type, where they're yeah he he's marketable. And I understand what you're saying with the George St. Pierre. That may come. I, I, I'm not ready to go that far yet, but that that may come. Like that's a possibility. But there's still a cap to that. Like Francis Ngannou, like you, you get his him in the right eyeballs and the right story. People love these crazy knockouts. Like people love Mike Tyson knocking guys out in 30 seconds. There's something to that. Now, 
you said you weren't ready to call Francis Ngano the hardest hitter in the history of the sport. You say he's on his way. I think he is. I think he's the hardest hitter in, in the history of the sport. Um, he, I don't remember him hitting a guy and then like falling down or them being rocked and then and then the ref comes. No, he touches you. He knocks dudes dead. They're completely out. I mean, his overhand right is one of the scariest punches in the like the scariest thing in the world. His uppercut against Alistair Overeem is probably the most beautiful, most vicious knockout in history of UFC. Like, I don't remember me having a uh, like physical reaction to a knockout like I did at that one, where I was like, other Alistair Overeem's head was coming off. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he snapped his. <laughs> I think we said it before. He snapped his head back like a Pez dispenser. Um. <laughs> And despite having all this power, he and I've said this before, I'm gonna say it again. He doesn't get enough credit for how precise he is. He lands punches in small windows. I mean, you go back to the Kane Velasquez where he landed a punch in Kane Velasquez. Kane Velasquez is shooting in on him. Um, it, it's really, really impressive. But he, the crazy thing was, he doesn't need to be precise. It was a grazing shot to Curtis Blades that knocked him dead. And. Since these knockouts, he's suddenly added leg kicks. We started seeing him throwing leg kicks now. Um, he does keep his head still straight up a little bit for my liking. And while I thought his wrestling was bad, that wasn't the case last time against DB Managers. Like suddenly he was stopping takedowns. Uh, when he did get taken down, he like, found a way to post himself back, work himself right back up to his feet, not expend too much energy, not have DB on him too much. Um, and the last thing I'm worried about is so heading into the steepy foot, we had like two major questions. It was how is his wrestling and how is his gas tank? The wrestling one has really been answered. Like, no, it's, he's not Daniel Cormier. He's not Randy Couture. But if he can still stuff takedowns like that, he's a problem for everybody. Now, how's his gas tank? To me, that's still mystery. If he can get pushed deep into a fight and he doesn't land those that big crushing shot, and he's throwing these big shots. How is he going to be in the fourth, fifth round? I don't know. And I don't know if that'll be answered this fight. Now, Muo is a surreal gun. Uh, incredible athlete. So elusive. Good footwork. He can fight from both stances. He's very composed on the feet. Good vision. Quick. Uh, he's very good at using his footwork to set the pace. Like his movement sets how the fight's going. If if he wants it to be a brawl, he wants to war. He's going to initiate. If he wants it to slow it down and move around, like he did against Volkov, like he did against Derek Lewis, uh, and then just work on the outside with at, being accurate. He uses feints well to kind of get you guessing, moving the way he wants you to move. Uh, I like his jab. I like that he throws a double jab. Uh, beautiful overhand right. It throws combinations. But he he really mixes out his his attacks like one punch com you know one punch next one it's a three punch combination now he's coming around leg kick like he's really mixing he's never attacking the same way which is which is really good uh, he also is a guy that will switch his stances mid combination to give him different angles um, good you know good power to his body good like um, stepping in working the body. The one negative about him is, well, obviously he has good power. He's a heavyweight. He's not your big slugger. He's not putting guys out with one shot. Now, if he one punches Francis Ngannou clean, would that shock me? I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked because he's a heavyweight who's 
I don't know how big he is, but 250 and muscle on muscle. He's been, he's ripped. Uh, but a lot of kicks, front kicks, body kicks, leg kicks. I love his step in knees, which he does really good. Get you, he'll throw like a, a two punch combination, get you, bring your hands up, and then he follows up with a knee to the body. Uh, can wrestle, decent takedowns, good current ground control. We saw that against um, was it Derek Lewis. We saw it against Derek Lewis. We've seen it in other fights where he takes you down really hard to get up. And he's a submission threat. He's got um, like three or four submissions on his record. So as far as my prediction goes, I think we, we set up, you know, other fights in this card. And I said, like, I'm not very high on either fighters in different fights. That's not the case of this one. Like, these are the two best heavyweights in the world. I think both guys are special. Um, Gone has to be perfect. Like you said it, I've said it. And if I'm Francis Ngannou, I'm going to come out exactly how I said Figueroa should. Because we people are all talking about all the things that Gone has on Francis Ngannou. He's quicker. He's more technically sound. He's got better movement. He's more well-rounded. All these things. Besides punching power, Gon still has that intimidation factor. Because Francis Ngano is not watching film of of uh, surreal gain, not you know highlight reels of knockout after knockout, dead body after dead body. But surreal gain could easily search Francis Ngano's name and see. Highly relevant. So he has that intimidation factor. And if I'm him, I'm coming out. I'm not letting uh, Gon set the pace. I'm coming out. I'm throwing. I'm being a maniac. I'm throwing the haymakers. I'm come, I think he should come out like he did against Justina Rundstrick. Right out the gate, throw a 12-punch combination coming across the cage. Yeah, maybe he walks in assumption. Maybe he gets taken up. Maybe so. Or maybe he just connects. And that's the end of the fight. And he, Imagine if he knocks out Imagine if he connects and he puts Sirogan out in 15 seconds. How crazy would that be? It, it'd be cr- it's crazy because you wouldn't think it happened, but then it's not crazy because that's what Francis Ngannou does. Um, I don't let him set the pace. So I picked against Francis Ngannou against Cain Velasquez. I picked against him against Jardina Rudenstruck. I picked against him against rematches against Curtis Blades and Stephen Miasich. And and like I said, if he knocks out Gon, it'll be one of the most impressive things in the history of the sport. If he can put him out with one shot like he's done time and time again. But all that said, I'm picking against Nagano again. I'm going to go with with uh, Surreal Gon. I think Gon's going to work from the outside. I think he's going to kick. I think he's going to jab. I think he's going to move. I think he's going to cut angles. I don't think... Um, Gon's gonna have. I think Gon's gonna have opportunities where he's trying to blitz forward with big shots, and I just think Gon's gonna be out of the way, and it's gonna be a lot of swinging, big power shots, catching air, uh, and I think Gon's just gonna work it for 25 minutes. I think we're actually gonna have. A, you, I think you said it was not gonna be the most exciting fight. I actually with you, man. I think Gon's gonna just play it safe and win a, you know, win a 25 minute. 50-45 fight where he wins all five rounds. So give me give me gone, and I'm going to say by boring decision. There you go. Uh, two picks for uh, the UFC to apparently get exactly what it wants and for Surreal Gone to have his hand raised as your undisputed UFC heavyweight champion. 
that's a wrap on the uh, Sure Dog Radio preview for UFC 270 and Ganu versus Gan. Uh, I definitely speaking for myself, and I think I can probably safely speak for Keith here in that we are really excited to recap this thing afterwards because <laughs> almost whatever happens in those last two fights, there's going to be a whole lot to talk about. The what's next conversation could just go so many different ways. If there's any controversy or an all-time great fight, we're going to have plenty to sound off on. Uh, for those of you who don't know, those recaps take place 10 or 15 minutes after the, the main event ends on the SureDog YouTube channel. You can find the link on the SureDog front page or just go to you know, YouTube slash com. That's D-O-T-C-O-M. Uh, and find us there. The live chat is wide open. Uh, we have a lot of regulars, but always happy to get new people there, bringing in their expertise, their opinions, their questions. Uh, it's a fun chance to interact directly with you. Uh, we'd love to see you there. Until then, thank you for listening and watching. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. By all means, enjoy the fights. Uh, for Keith Schillen, I'm Ben Duffy. Thank you for watching. 